Welcome back to Shelved by Genre, a show about types of literature and the worlds they imagine. Today, we're starting our season on Ursula K. Le Guin's Earthsea novels, and right now, we're discussing the first four chapters of A Wizard of Earthsea. I'm Cameron, and with me are my two wizard trainee frenemies, Michael and Austin. Show me you're a real wizard. You can't do real wizard shit. Uh, I'm doing it. Uh. No, that's guys. That's, that's guys, goat herd me. stuff. That's boring goat herd fake magic. I'm, I'm, flo- I'm floating over you while eating a turkey leg, guys. Guys, what? What? Get out of here! That's the not point- real yeah. wizard. Ma- that's turkey eating magic. The I'm trying to see the wizardry. The point of wizard school is to chill. No, it isn't. The point of wizard school is to be sick as fuck and write letters big. It's <laughs> it's so good. I'm gonna learn so many names. I know all the real names of all the real things and none of that, none of those bullshit fake words that everybody else uses. Ursula Le Guin tapped into a primal child thing with this naming shit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh-huh. Yeah. No, what do kids love more than just knowing the names of stuff? That's true. I know every goddamn Pokemon. Uh huh. I mean, not now, but like when I was but 11, I did. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You want to hear about a bunch of dinosaurs? Yeah. It's uh, it's it's one of the most interesting things in here that I guess we'll probably end up spending time on throughout this entire unit of ours. Um, mm-hmm. It's like we call what it is a season, a, by the way. No, I think it's a unit. I'm pretty sure this is a unit. So like, that's what we should do. Yeah. For the first thing, book of the news on that was a season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this, Earth this season. is a unit. <laughs> the next thing we do, it will be a cycle. Will be a cycle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. I think that's right. Yeah. yeah. Uh huh. Absolutely. Okay, I'm adopting that. I'll 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 change that in the future intros to the episode. Good, thank you. Yeah, 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 yeah. If we get that all changed, also on the on any sort of legal documentation, uh, yeah. that'd be great. On the tax forms, <laughs> the tax I, forms. I, I'm working on those for yeah. y'all right now. And yep, I'll, thanks, uh, I'll thanks, make sure thanks. I put unit on there uh, for January 2024. I did change it, as you can see in the intro to the show notes. Uh, but yeah, sorry. So, is the thing you think we're going to be focusing in on? You think? I think I think you know maybe it's one of my like big questions uh, as we as we go through this is like what is a true name what is a um, what does it mean for a thing to have an essence that is grounded in language what is Le doing about writing with that what is Le doing about essence with that mm-hmm. um, and then and then how does that shake out you know, for characters and situations as the as the the you know the stories continue. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot. Uh, there's a lot caught up in the idea that something has an immutable essence, that a thing is itself, right? Mm-hmm. Um, one of the best bits of the section or of this book that, or this uh, these chapters we read today, is in that. Uh, I want to say it's in chapter three. The uh, the the bit of of you know the rock is the rock. You know, you can you can make a rock look like a diamond, but a rock is a rock. Uh, mm-hmm. And the rock's a pretty good thing. Um, and it turns out that that's like uh, – there's like lots of really great naive readings of that that feel really positive. Uh, but then when you live in a world where uh, the, the boundaries of what a thing is are often deeply policed, um, 
that yeah, ends the up person ha- walking around in 2024 yes. saying the rock is a rock is probably not my my best friend. not my best bud mm-hmm. these days yeah. exactly yeah. exactly though of course the thing that that in this particular instance or in this particular conversation is being said is like it's not really that is not what the the wizard in question is trying to communicate to our boy ged but uh but 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 it's still nevertheless we are moving in worlds of essences you know mhm uh, or at least some rules. At least that, some rules that, that a particular that correct that a particular organization believes about the way the world works. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe I should uh, before before we dive in, and I'm curious, you know, for y'all to be thinking about here before we get into the actual text. I, you know, I do want to hear about y'all's connection to Le Guin and have you read these before and things like that. But maybe a thing to say here first before we really dig in is that. In case you're not aware, in case uh, you're stumbling on this or you're, someone linked you this, I hope they did, or you found it uh, on your own. Uh, what we're doing here in this uh, across this unit is we are reading all the books of Earthsea that are generally, generally referred to as the books of Earthsea. And we're doing it through what is called the Complete Illustrated Edition. It is a huge, massive omnibus tomb. Of all, excuse me, you said tomb um, as yeah. if it were a mausoleum, as if it were where we'll be laid a to tome. rest. Yeah, a tome. What are the symbols that appear at the top of this tomb? Um, Ooh. I'm gonna, yeah, I'm gonna so. drop it. I'm gonna drop it on my <laughs> desk for everyone to hear really quick. Yeah, Should I drop it. it on my floor? What's funnier? I'll drop it on desk. my desk. God, <laughs> I was a little yeah, afraid no. my desk might break. Yeah, it did. Did. It might it's have shattered in bit. half. It's like a like a cartoon. Yeah, it's like young Shaq dunked on it and just <laughs> tore it from the wall. Oh, I thought maybe there was a different way where uh, where like you dropped on it and then like a like a little cuckoo bird is uh, flying around yeah, on top of it stars. with stars. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, there's a large bump in the middle of the desk with a bandage on it. This is more That's of a right. Dudley Brothers did the 3D to it <laughs> through the center of the deck the desk. <laughs> The uh, but the reason I say that yes not not a not a tomb but a tome, uh, and but you know I got tricked because I was looking at the word mm. the tombs of Adalon. <laughs> That'll next, do it. The next thing, but it is a collection of a Wizard of Earthsea, the tombs of Adalon, the farthest shore, Tahanu, tales from Earthsea, and the Outer Wind. These books make up the books of Earthsea. There you will have no issue probably if you don't want to buy this big massive all in one omnibus. Um, you'll probably have no issue following along, but our pagination is going to be attached to this. When we talk about page numbers, it's going to be these, but however you want to pick it up is perfectly fine, and we'll be going in that order, which is the order that's here on the thing. Partially the reason we did this is just so we could all be referring to the same text, and also it was the cheapest option when we uh, looked at it uh, two months ago when we decided to do this. I'm a little bummed it's not over a 1,000 pages. It's real close, but it's not. And so we're never going to get to say, check page 1032 for the quote in question. Yeah, we don't. You know? we, we only get to a page, it looks like, uh, 992. Yeah, it's if close. we wanted to check out the artist's note, I guess we'd go to 993. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. It's still good. It's unfortunate. Yeah. I'll add some pages. Don't worry. Okay, cool, cool, cool. I like staple a thing in here at the back so we can do, have like page 1011 to refer to. Yeah. yeah. We'll yeah. do an Earth. It's just the communist manifesto that I put at the end. <laughs> Oh, uh, it seems to me here at the end of uh, the the Tales of Earthsea book that uh, it seems a specter is haunting Europe. Why? What do you make of that? <laughs> Men make their own history, but not always as they please. Wait a second, that's not the manifesto. Hold on, yeah, that's right. Uh, 
uh, uh, correction crew. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, probably the best, by the way. Hey, you know, we got a bunch of shows here at Range Touch. If you like listening to the show, you can go to patreon.com slash range touch to check it out. Danny and I have just started a new season of Mages and Murder Dads. We're playing Baldur's Gate 3. And I don't know if y'all have listened to that yet, but Danny whips out a uh, self-critical nerd voice about two-thirds of the way through <laughs> the really first episode good. of that. so funny. That, that is very, very funny. Where he's like starts talking about like positioning math in mm-hmm. fifth edition, which he knows perfectly. Uh, it's one of the funniest things I've ever heard in my life. I like I kind of broke down in tears when I was editing the episode. <laughs> it's so optimal. If, if you like, a, if you it's yeah, sub-optimal. it is suboptimal. Suboptimal. <laughs> uh, well, uh, if you know, so if you like a nerd voice, go over to uh, YouTube.com/slash Range Touch. But let's get back to this, Michael. Uh, where are you on Ursula Le Guin? Have you read RFC before? You tell me what's up, and then right after that, Austin, I'm going to throw the same question over to you. Um, so I like Ursula Le Guin, but I have not read her widely, and I am more partial to the science fiction work than the fantasy work. Perhaps unsurprisingly to longtime mm-hmm. listeners. Because you hate fantasy. Yes, I do not like fantasy. <laughs> that is, if this is your first episode of a range touch thing, then this is what you need to know about me is I do not like fantasy as kind of a general rule. However, uh, I do enjoy Earthsea, but I have not completed it. My school library when I was younger had a weirdly incomplete collection I think they mm-hmm. had only like they didn't have uh, tombs, I think. So I don't think I've read tombs. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So I read the first one and then I think the third one and maybe the f- I don't know if I read the fourth one is the fourth one. The short stories. I might have like started that one and given up. That's the fifth one, I believe. Oh, OK. OK. Then they had the fifth. They, they, they had a really spotty collection is the point. Like one of the other books that they had is one of the Le Guin books that no one talks about, which is her like non genre young adult book whose title I can't even remember that is about like two genius teenagers and like one of them plays the violin or something. Do you know this? Uh, no, I don't. Yeah. Right. <laughs> like I, uh, so I've read that. <laughs> um, <laughs> there you go. Uh, but no, I, so I've tended more toward the science fiction, um, you know, uh, uh, love left hand of darkness and the dispossessed. Uh, Is it and- the beginning place? No, it had like a really long and weird title. I think. A very long way from anywhere else. That's it. Okay. <laughs> uh, and so uh, it, it's nice to come to Earthsea. So dis- despite the distaste of fantasy and also, well, we can talk more about this. Earthsea is not prone to a lot of the stuff that I usually dislike about fantasy. So there's that positive. Uh, it's a partic- it's a particular type of fantasy that I find a bit more interesting. It's a bit lower uh, in kind of the the hierarchical schematization of the thing. Uh, and it's kind of nice to not be reading something that I obsessively read as a teenager for a podcast. Mm-hmm. I want to say that at the beginning. <laughs> yeah. Here you're referring to just King Things and uh, and or. Homestuck made this world uh, and or our first season and and or book of the new sun. I guess I think by the time of Homestuck, I was in my 20s. But yeah, (laughs) uh, I got I got to hit you with something really quick in the middle of your uh, heartfelt story about reading. Uh huh. The the British version of that book that you're referring to is titled A Very Long Way from Anywhere Else. Okay. the American version is called Very Far Away from Anywhere Else. Um. 
Huh? It's the same. It's the same book. They just have slightly different titles about how far away you are from something. <laughs> Maybe this is like a difference in in American versus British English, and they both yeah, mean it's the like same a, thing, like an basically. idiom. You know, yeah, I, like, I like guess maybe they would say what it, we would say. You know, yeah. where it's yeah. different for both of us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's very. I like the idea that these are like a sequel to each other, or like parallel <laughs> oh, world novels. Fun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like Ursula in in the boardroom doing her James Cameron aliens moments. Uh-huh. Exactly. <laughs> or like the Daniel Lewski uh, Only Revolutions book where it's like back to back and it's the two stories. Uh, <laughs> that kind of thing. The idea that it's, it's almost the same exact book, but they each have a different final chapter. Ooh. <laughs> it's two books that happen at the same time, but it's, uh, mm. it's like the city in the city and mm-hmm. you have to read across them mm-hmm. to understand what occurred. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm. Very good. Good stuff. Well, what, what's the last Le Guin that you read, Michael, before we did this? Is, um, it, is it like two years ago or is it like 15 years ago? No, it would have been like 15 years ago and it probably would have been my uh, second or third reading of Left Hand of Darkness. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Austin, what about you? Where are you on the... We're the on- we are, we, pretzels is the same. Me and Michael had basically the same experience here. I think I read Tombs but didn't read the, the anything after that. I read Tombs and some short stories, but... Um, uh, and but but generally lean towards the science fiction stuff. Um, I think someone probably gave me a copy of Lay of Heaven in high school. I was like, go read mm-hmm. this, kid. Uh, and, and I they did. were like, you're gonna love this Philip K. Dick pastiche. Well, it's because I was a Philip K. Dick kid in yeah, in, mm-hmm. in high school, right? It's because I was like, you have to read Dr. Blood Money or How I Stopped Worrying, <laughs> whatever. Mm-hmm. I forget that what mm-hmm. the actual subtitle of Dr. Blood Money is. Yeah, uh, it's how we got along after the bomb because it's a post-apocalyptic yep. story. Um, and I was like, "This shit's great!" And they were like, "Go read Le Guin." Um, <laughs> and- I do believe that Philip K. Dick and Ursula Le Guin went to high school together, or, or they went to the same high to school. The same high school. Okay, yeah. I believe that. Mm-hmm. There's some overlaps, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but yeah, similarly leaned towards the science fictional stuff. Um, never completed Earthsea. Um, uh, have read a little bit of, uh, you know, have probably read, read stuff from the short story collections that became really common or I don't know, they, they seem like they were everywhere when, when I was mm-hmm. in college. An um, omelas so, or two. Mm-hmm. Yeah. An omelas or two, but also just like, I don't know, there's a bunch of them, you know, um, and, and they were always cheap. And so I always had those. Um, and then, and then I dipped briefly into, uh, her translation of the uh, the Tao Ching, the the mm-hmm. um, I don't know if you know this, that she translated the Tao Te Ching. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that's, and, that's what. Uh, yeah, that's what this says. And in in I, I spent some time looking at it and being like, yeah, cool, dude. Uh, <laughs> if I'm going to read this thing, let me read the one that Le Guin translated, which is like she translated it. But I want to be clear, like it's I don't. I don't know that she speaks or reads Chinese. So I think it was like a translation, uh, you know, by way of translation, not a direct translation, you know, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, making some, some really interesting choices with language. Um, but that was enjoyable for what I read of it. I did not finish it, but you know. Yeah. The, you know, she kind of hits a, I don't know, a stride, I think in the seventies where she's very into young, uh, like Carl Jung, and she right. is very into um, uh, uh, the like casting, not 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 casting, but like uh, 
algorithmic product, what we would now call like algorithmic production of meaning, right? Uh, both mm-hmm. her and mm-hmm. Dick were like way into that yeah. in lots of different ways, right? So like she worked specifically on that translation, but I think she was into cards and tarot and things like that as well. Uh, if I remember the stuff I've read about that as well. And so notably, right, what we were reading for this, Wizard of Mercy is a little bit before that, a little mm-hmm. bit before Le Guin's turn to maybe what we would call the mystical or something like that. And so you think Le Guin would have loved Caves of Cud? <sighs> would Ursula Le Guin loved Caves of Cud? Yeah, sure. Why I don't think so. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think she'd be into it. I don't think she ever talked about video games very much, which is interesting. Um, yeah, I was in a, came up in an era where they were, I don't know that she would access to some of the more, I mean, she was around for the IF boom, and she was around for... Yeah, no one sat her down to play The Last stuff, of Us. Right? I get it. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. She just hadn't played, like, the best stuff. <laughs> no, one, no one sat her down and said, uh, you know... Uh, look, we got to get to together on a Bioshock. Right. That's know? what I'm saying. Ken Levine <laughs> and Ursula K. Le Guin. Now that's a team up that everyone's waiting on. That's Ursula K. Levine. <laughs> <laughs> they, uh, uh, but yeah, so that, that maneuver is going to happen. I, the reason I'm saying that is that um, not quite the same as Gene Wolfe and uh, what do you call it? Um Catholicism. Mm-hmm. I, couldn't, I couldn't pull it. I was trying to. Not quite the same that where where this is uh, tightly bound up in a particular kind of religious or conceptual politics. Um, but she is going to start pinging off of these ideas more and more as these books go on, because notably, the books of Earthsea, what we are reading, start in the 60s and continue up through the 90s. You know, she's still writing bits and pieces right. of the Earthsea stuff. I think the last one's maybe 1990, maybe or a little bit after even. Um, Cameron, so, I, have to, I have to hit you with something. I did a search for Ursula K. Le Guin video games. Any guesses at the top two hits? Are they both me somehow? One of them is you. Okay. All right. We need well. more games with Ursula Le Guin's idea of flexible oh, yeah. resistance, a little waypoint yeah. column. And number two is a MobyGames.com entry for Ursula K. Le Guin. She is in the dedications of Bioshock 2. Oh my God. <laughs> Cool. Yeah. <laughs> the good one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's very good. I, the only reason I bring that up is that I do think, because uh, I was in a reading group maybe in 2019 or 2020, like an international, you know, we got yeah. together on a Zoom or something yeah. kind of thing. Um, for Le Guin, and we read some of her like later criticism, the 90s and maybe even some stuff she wrote in the 2000s. And she talked about a bunch of media forms, but like video games never came up, even like, right. as a negative mm-hmm. example. Uh, that I can remember because I would have like written it down, I think. Um, but but yeah, so reason we're saying all this reason I'm pointing all this up, uh, you know, pointing all this out is that we are going to see a really interesting thing where the first three books come out in the late 60s through the 70s, like 68 up through 72, I think, is uh, the first three Earthsea books. And then there's a break and it looks like I'm looking here now, 1990. And then 2001, 2001. So we are going to to see these things kind of maneuvering and moving over the course of the thing. Generally, the Earthsea books are kind of referred to as two trilogies, the early trilogy and the later trilogy. Like um, a certain other beloved media property. Uh, let's see here. What could you be referring to? Um, Agatha Christie? Uh, no, the the <laughs> Shakespeare's history plays. Oh wait, never mind. Oh. One of those a tetralogy. So that was that was my beef. There's nothing wow. else like this. I in, totally would have gotten this if you didn't screw that up. 
<laughs> Me too. I would have known immediately. Henry the Eleventh. Much like y'all, I, I tend to be more on the science fiction side of Le Guin. Looking at the list of things she has published, I've read a huge chunk of these. Um, the My favorite being, uh, I, I've taught The Left Hand of Darkness a lot, and I've talked about it on the show quite a few times. I'm sure at some point we'll read that book as a one-off. I think it's fun, and maybe The Dispossessed too, although I do think that Left Hand of Darkness, for me, is the better book. But my favorite Le Guin book is Rokanon's World, her uh, first science fiction novel that starts as a fairy tale and then turns into a science fiction novel where a man dies alone on an alien planet. Hell yeah, mm. dude. Yeah. Give it to me. Good yeah. gig if you can get it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Pulling uh, up the Indeed listings right now. <laughs> Checking uh, out Glassdoor for the alien planet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is it really as good as they say dying alone on the alien planet? The PR looks so good. (laughs) Who can tell, really, if that's what internally what the alien planet looks like? Um, I want to say a couple things really quickly just about Le Guin biographically. I'm reading here out of the uh, Library of America website that's associated with The Futurist Female, which is a – it's now two volumes of science fiction stories by women um, written – Early in science fiction, mm-hmm. um, and if you're if you're interested in that, like a sampling platter, uh, Lisa Yasik put those together, um, and they are both very cool. I've taught out of them; they're very helpful. And Yasik has done a really good job of kind of going back into the history of science fiction and excavating a lot of women who have been kind of run over or were not recognized uh, because they wrote under pseudonyms. Um, but you know, they had to pretend to be men in order to, or felt obligated to, because people wouldn't read their work um, otherwise. So it's interesting, but. On that website, they've got some um, really cool biographical information of a bunch of different people who are on in the thing, in the uh, collection, including Le Guin. Um, notably, you know, big, big information that matters about Le Guin is the child of two anthropologists mm-hmm. and, and two academics who are anthropologists. And I would say if there is a kind of skeleton key that people read Le Guin through, Mm. which I don't know if we need to think that that is correct or not, but this does happen quite often, Uh, you know, in the way that you can use Catholicism as a skeleton key to kind of puzzle through some of the pieces of Gene Wolfe. And you can listen to us talk for hours about places where that's useful and places where that's, um, you know, less useful. Um, Lots of people use this kind of anthropological angle. And and sometimes Le Guin's work gets referred to as kind of anthropological, quote unquote, big quotation marks here. What's that science fiction? Cameron. That is concerned with cultures, that is concerned with expression within culture and cultural values being expressed within a group and then sometimes analyzed by people outside of that group. Mm -hmm. So our POV character is someone who enters into that scenario and tells us about it. This is not to just keep banging the drum, but this is the left hand of darkness, right? You have Mm -hmm. um, the the, um, Gethin, this planet. Um, where gender expression is quite a bit different from any other planet. And generally, I, who is from the Ecumen, comes down and is writing essentially half of the book as a journal or, or an after-the-fact account that generally I is putting together. And it is matched by a narrative from uh, Estraven, uh, who is giving you the internal story, right? And, and the friction, the really cool friction of that book comes out of how does generally I perceive the scenario that he is encountering and how does Estraven, as a person who is from this culture, how do they understand what's happening? And uh, lo and behold, they are not the same <laughs> whatsoever. 
And so that kind of outsider encounters a culture or a culture gets expressed to us and we puzzle our way through it. That's the ones who walk away from Omelas, right? Is this kind of moral fable that is anthropologically presented to us. Um, that's a lot of, of uh, back of the envelope ways that people approach Le Guin. However you want to go for that is whatever. It's really steeped in biography, but it is a theme that shows up quite often. Um, another thing I want to point out is that uh, Ursula Le Guin lived in Macon, Georgia, where I live. Oh. Where wow. she taught French for a while. Hometown hero. At the place where I work. Oh. And so theoretically, I've been in Ursula Gwynn's office. Bias. Isn't that fun? Unbelievable bias. I've tried to figure it out. I've tried to figure out where it is. Because it can only be in so many places. We only have so many places on the historic quad. You right. know what I'm saying? Sure, sure. Mm -hmm. Well, you can just uh, go and check in. You can be like, I'm looking for a cat. A cat escaped. Knock, knock, knock. Let me in the room. And if you did that in <laughs> for every room... Um, and then all, like, all the people in their offices like pulling their laundry down off the lines that hang between <laughs> buildings. Yeah, this is exactly what I'm trying to yeah. suggest. The situation mm -hmm. is like they okay. let you in, and like, I haven't seen a cat around here. And then you go, mm -hmm. "Don't worry about it. I just want to get in the room." And you go over to the next <laughs> one, and eventually you will have definitely been inside of it. Yeah, and so I'm trying to figure it out um, so I can do that. But yeah, her and her husband met in France. They returned to the U.S. She taught French. He taught history. They eventually relocated to Portland, where they lived out the rest of their lives. And um, she passed away several years ago. Um, and uh, he he outlived her. He lived beyond her. And and actually gave some really interesting interviews after her death. I've watched a couple of those when I was trying to piece out where her office was <laughs> a couple <laughs> years ago. Twenty twenty was a time when you can invest a lot of time in things that seemingly do not matter. And that was a thing that I thought about a lot. Is where 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 could her office have been? But um, we'll get more information about Le Guin. I will pull from some different sources over the course of the season. No reason to dump all of that here, but just to give you a sense of it, she is someone who was writing extensively from the '60s all the way up until her death in the 2010s, and uh, her values changed and her thoughts changed. And Earthsea is comprised of six books that are across that whole career. And so we will get to see the first three books, which have particular values of the 60s and 70s. And then we will get to see kind of her response to her, her own work. So going back earlier to what you were talking about, Austin, um, well, I think we'll get a sense. You know, mm -hmm. I have not read all of the Earthsea books, but, you know, I've been to uh, approximately one billion presentations about them. <laughs> um, and so I feel like I have a pretty good lay of what's going on. And, uh, you know, I think what is a rock? What's the true name of the rock? is a thing that will come up in a few different valences and a few different ways, which will be fun to dig into. Speaking of digging in, do we want to get into it? Do you have any banter you want to talk about? you got any big themes you want to mention before we uh, do the summary and then get in? Yeah, let's get into it, I think. I think the big themes can come out of what the rest of the conversation. Yeah. All right. Let me read the summary. Uh, I guess Let's one last thing, I guess, is, hey, mm -hmm. this book's got drawings in it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They're cool. They're pretty cool. This version, yeah. Yeah, this version of the book has has uh, is il is illustrated. Um, it's illustrated by Charles Vess. They're really, um, uh, you know, um, kind of bright and playful illustrations. Even the the black and white ones, of which most of them are, have a sort of um, uh, a light energy to them. So far, uh, I guess we're pretty early on here. Um, uh, but there's there's something storybook about them uh, in Wizard of Earthsea so far. Maybe that'll mm -hmm. change as we go to, for instance, the tombs of Aduan. Uh, but for now, at least, there's a real, like, 
I'm cracking open the big tome. Like to me, never ending story should have illustrations. Like this is the never ending story book that you crack open in your, in your school's or it's in your attic or wherever the hell that kid read that book. It's the school's attic, yeah. It's the school's attic. It's, it's on both, his attic. It's both things. <laughs> is it the school's attic? Yes, because he's hiding oh, I, from bullies at school. Yeah, that's what I thought. Then I, I stumbled over the idea that the school would have an attic. <laughs> it's Germany. They do things different. Oh, it's Germany. <laughs> that, that explains a lot. It, that explains a lot about the basically top to bottom. What's up with the never ending story? A lot of that's explained by Germany. <laughs> y'all, did a, y'all did a never ending story bonus episode, right? For Homestuck Made This World, am I imagining? Yep. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. If you have access to the bonus episodes for Shelved by Genre, which you can get by going to patreon.com slash range touch, you, if you have access to those, you also have access to the, the bonus episodes for Homestuck Made This World that we did a little while back. And so you can listen to Michael and I talking about the never-ending story over on those. Those are accessible on the Patreon. I, I do want to say something about those illustrations, though, uh, Austin. So mm-hmm. uh, one is that, yeah, they're just kind of peppered through and they're interesting to look at. But but they are like done later. I think they were done for this volume. Oh, yeah, so they're for this mm-hmm. volume. Yes, for right. sure. Uh, except for the map that oh, is at the right. very beginning which is Le Guin's map um, that is reproduced here. Um, or like a version and, of that, right? Because she she did design the map, but I think she talks about somewhere like, this version looks a bit better than what mine looked like. Um, I, think, I think this is her original one. The it's, only not, I, it's not her original. She, she, there's a short introduction from her. I broke oh, my yes. introduction rule. I, I, read I it. can't believe you're reading an introduction. Well, it's her, cardinal rule. and I don't care about you. Um, and in it, <laughs> she explains that she made an original map on like butcher yeah. paper and then uh, lost it, it over the years, but had but had made smaller versions of it. And this mm-hmm. is like one of the smaller versions of it, I believe. Yeah, this is a note on the official Ursula Le Guin website. Uh, years after the book was published, Le Guin recreated her original map, which was drawn before she before she started writing A Wizard of Earthsea, the book we're talking about today, by tracing the map from early editions of the book in two versions, one line drawn in black ink and the other in ink and colored pencil. So she actually made two. Mm. Um, and you can buy repros of both of those on the website if you would like to. Nice. Yeah. And they, But it looks like, yeah, you're, you're right. It's basically the same one. I would say actually looking at it, it appears the one in the book has been slightly scrunched on the uh, on the X value. Oh. oh they scrunched Earthsea. They scrunched it. <laughs> they scrunched Earthsea. I'm constantly yelling. They scrunch <laughs> no one listens to me when I say they scrunch. Uh, oh, it's actually cut off the thing here. Let, let, let me let me uh, let me give you a little it's cropped too. It's scrunched and cropped. Cuz like look at <laughs> look at this thing. Just like my favorite shirt, it's scrunched and cropped. Mhm. <laughs> But oh, look, there's nice. like way more, there's way more South Reach on her yeah. version here. Maybe that's a spoiler. We would take a legacy game. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, you know, like the whole outside border is like blacked out. And then when you like complete some tasks, you can pull the right, border right, off. Right. You exactly. get more. Yeah. Like we're going to get halfway through this book and be like, and here's more South Reach. That's, this is where are the pages we need to get to page uh, 1000 are going to be. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe it's a, it's really, it's scrunched in a weird way. It's scrunched. These are the same, these are the same islands. Yeah. But I owe the ears like way too close to Misk and Donnell. Like, look at that. Oh yeah. You're totally right. That's weird. Yeah. 
I think that you're right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm measuring. Or it's an optical illusion. No, because Wozniak, in our copy in the book, this is like some real, this is what you're tuning tune into Shell by Genre for. But Wozni and the South Shoals is touching in the book map. Yeah. And there's like a you're full. You're totally right. There's, there's, you could fit a, the little line between the maybe and this other edition. Sure. You could fit a, hold on, I got to find it. You could fit a, uh, uh, oh God, what is the name of that little creature? Damn it. An, o- an Otuk? You can fit an Otuk in there. That's right. Yeah, it's one of those things. I keep imagining that thing as the little guy from Nazca, which I don't think is right, but I do think that the little guy from Nazca is just based on this little guy. That's my mm. understanding. That's not understanding. That's my guess. Just, just a chipmunk. I picture no. it as some sort of ferret Pokemon. Yeah, these are both things. This is the same to me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Small, furry. Small, uh, furry. Kind of oily looking. Hang, yeah, kind of bites people uh, <laughs> if, they're, if he looks at them wrong, you know? Bigger than a wood wood mouse? Bigger than a wood mouse. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess the other the- thing that's uh, briefly in mm-hmm. this intro, but we'll get to it, is, is of course, the other thing that having uh, this edition has is brown people in it, unlike mm-hmm. uh, many other oh, editions yeah. of Earthsea mm-hmm. stuff. Uh, Le Guin has spoken other places, not just in this introduction, about not being in charge of uh, uh, the art and the covers for the various editions of Earthsea until much later in her career and how frustrating that was because the books are unambiguous about, <laughs> about the color of the skin of these characters. Um, and nevertheless, uh, Ged, white Ged is haunting us. Um, oh, And like, not even well, just Spectre was haunting Europe, but uh, this book is haunted, haunted by, by a white ged. By a white ged. And like what's wild is like it's not even it's not even just like, oh yeah, in the 70s. Like the 2004 sci-fi channel like adaptation has white ged. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. how do you cast white ged in 2004? Is it Sean Ashmore? <laughs> yes, yeah. it is. Yeah. That's Jed, my man. <laughs> Wait, do they call him Jed in that? I don't think so, no. but they oh, okay. should. There's they a should. thing. There's a bit where she talks about. Uh, uh, I think this may be on her website where she talks about a audio adaptation. It might have been a, like a English uh, radio drama adaptation where they pronounce mm-hmm. Ged as Jed or something like that. Great. I mean, before because people are talking about this on the Discord. It's a white vetch. I don't, I do like that there are like characters where it is because in my imagination, right? Because it's been a long time since I've read these books uh, and I've never read all of them, but it's been a long time. And like, you know, there's the constant conversation about like they always make these characters white and they are unambiguously not white. They have lots of different skin tones, but they're not white. Yeah. The the Mm -hmm. one people who are white are explicitly named, you know, they're like, hey, you hear about those guys over there? They're white. Mm -hmm. They're white with yellow hair. Yeah. Yeah. They're coming to kill us. Yeah, that's their deal over there, right? You know, it's unambiguous. Uh, and I didn't, you know, I was like, oh, but it must be the kind of thing where, like, you know, in my mind, I was like, you know, occasionally their skin cones described, or they, you know, they talk, and it could be a tan. You know, I'm I'm being very charitable to like the, right. the racism of the industry, right? Right. And then I'm sitting here reading this book, and it's like, and the guy who was black, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he was my yeah. black man, and it's like, oh yeah, okay, no, it's not. <laughs> this is not the kind of thing where it's where it's done passively. Yeah, you know what uh-huh. I mean. It's like, and, very explicit. I remember like feeling like uh, uh like my mind bending around this problem when I read the book the first time because I had a copy that had you know as all the copies were it's like the characters were white on the front 
and that was probably the first time that I realized, like what I attributed to how I rationalized it was like, oh, publishers just don't even read the books that they publish. <laughs> They're just like, this is a fantasy book. Uh, but they call down to, you know, the art department. They're like, give me a fantasy cover. Yeah, I mean, that. unfortunately, yes. That yeah. is put, also put a Gandalf of on this. Yeah, give us a damn Gandalf. Yeah, if you don't <laughs> got a Gandalf, I'll take a Merlin. <laughs> yeah, basically. If you ain't got a Merlin, I'll take a Bilbo. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll, take a, uh, I'll take a Ned Stark. <laughs> before he exists yeah yeah proto ned <laughs> yeah I, well, I'm sorry, what's that guy's name uh i'll take a boromir there we go i got there yeah give me a boromir <laughs> yeah, yeah put yeah. a crown on his ass we'll figure it out it'll look good um you want me to read the summary no yeah yeah did anyone else prepare a summary no no okay good good i was like i was doing this i was 75 percent of the way through and i thought oh god if someone if michael did the summary again <laughs> <laughs> I'm so pissed off that I did this. Okay. All right. Here's the summary. This is just me while I'm reading the book, writing down what happened. So in case you're not reading the book, you get a sense of what's going on. But real quick. Yeah. You could this is this could be an episode that people are are the first time they're listening to us. Yep. Uh because maybe they didn't they didn't click with uh with Book of the New Sun. Uh, mm-hmm. or maybe they're just like, oh, there's a Le Guin podcast, which like, yeah. hey, not really, but welcome. This is we're gonna do Earthsea. Mm-hmm. Um uh one. Uh, I love it when when people read along. Uh, I love it when people don't read along. They just listen to our summaries. That's awesome. That both of those are great ways to engage with the work. Yeah. Two, if you tried to read Book of the New Center, like, Ugh, you know, I just can't do genre stuff. Uh, but I love these hosts. Or Ugh, Gene Wolfe is a hard writer to read. I think this is a much easier, less frictionful. Um, yeah. a book to read that doesn't I, easier is the wrong word. I think there's less friction in this book. Uh, it, it, it that might actually make it harder for some readers because there's less to like, you know, wiggle your brain about in terms of what the fuck am I reading here? What's happening on the page? It's a lot more direct. But if you're someone who bounced off of Book of the New Sun uh, and are like, I'm just going to listen to this podcast, I think maybe trying to read the first four chapters of this book is not a bad project. Uh, you go ahead and try to read it. And and uh, see if, if reading along with us is is also fun uh, and and give yourself that little gift. That's my suggestion. yeah. Give it a shot and and reading the first four chapters. You know, in this book, it's like forty pages. It's like you know nothing. I mean? It's not yeah. Not a big not a big commitment. Yeah. Um, I think you know reading three chapters of Book of the New Sun is equivalent to like this whole book. So yeah. Um, and purposefully, and we'll talk about this a little bit when, when we after the summary. But like this is this is why a you know young adult fiction before that existed as a genre term, right? As its own kind of market. This is this is a book that is aimed at kids, but doesn't talk down to kids. Mm-hmm. You know, this is for like teenagers and maybe a little bit younger, uh, and is is evocative, but is not like buried in minutiae in detail like a Tolkien would be, right? So it is it is fantasy in its own kind of unique zone, and I'm sure we'll talk about that going forward. Yeah. Here's my summary. We open on a story of Sparrowhawk, who will one day be Archmage and Dragonlord as a child named Dunny on the island of Gaunt. He's a little wastrel who learns that he has magical powers. His aunt tries to teach him some magic, and in teaching him learns that he is extremely, naturally powerful. She teaches him the words that summon the hawk. We learn that his aunt, the ancient witch, or nope, the local witch, (laughs) is an ancient there. Yeah, not ancient. This is, I wrote all this down, including this part. 
does not understand magic in a real way that the narrator understands magic. She's ignorant of good magic. We learn words like the old powers and the balance and the pattern. And we also learn that she doesn't know anything about the stuff that is apparently critical for real majory. But she teaches him everything she knows until he is 12 years old, which is when the Viking-like Kargs raid the island and Dunny defends his village. Using some fog magic, the villagers absolutely wreck the Karg's shit. But it has a negative effect on Dunny, and he goes to sleep. And a wizard named Ogion the Silent comes to heal him and tell his father that Dunny is a wizard, as all hell, and needs wizard training after he is given his name as a man. Months later, after ascertaining that his hands are veiny enough, in a ceremony, Ogion gives Dunny his official name as a man, Ged. Ogion does some pre-Yoda Yodin and tells Ged to pay attention to the world and not to get so caught up in power, and that frustrates Ged, who travels with Ogion to his home in Ray Albi. There he meets a lord's daughter. Ged is so prideful and trying to project an air of mysterious power to impress the girl that he goes and reads some cursed magic from Ogeon's book, and Ogeon explains that the girl's mother is an enchantress, and therefore the girl is scary. Ged is given a choice. Stay with Ogeon and learn magic through wisdom, or go to Roke Island, where wizardry is taught. Seeking power, he goes to Roke. There's some cool boat stuff that happens, and then he goes to Roke. <laughs> There's wizardry afoot at Roke. Everyone talks in puzzles, and you have to do 2002's worst video game riddles <laughs> to enter. Ged is led into the school, and he is shown around by a guy named Jasper and another named Vetch. It's a little fanciful magical town with a wizard school, and Ged gets a sense for the whole thing and also knows that he should not share his real name. They only know him as Sparrowhawk. Ged learns that true magic is knowledge of names and takes on a long education in naming and name learning. He also tames an Otak. He also looks at a very attractive lady. Ged is so good at wizardry that he starts getting independent lessons from his superiors. At a party, Ged challenges the recently wizarded Jasper to a duel, which is forbidden to the younger mages. Instead of doing that, Jasper goads Jed, Ged, not Jed, but Ged, into doing some powerful magic, and Ged decides to do some of the stolen magic that he did when he was under the apprenticeship of Ogion earlier in the book. He says that he will summon the dead spirit of the woman Elfarin, a mystical legendary person from the days of yore. An evil shadow appears and kicks Ged's ass, and the Archmage shows up to save Ged. It takes all of his power, and the Archmage dies afterward. A new Archmage, Ginsher of the Way, is chosen. Many months later, once Ged has healed from the event, Ginsher explains that Ged has unleashed a power of death unto the world, and without proper protection, it will kill and possess Ged. Ged wants to disavow everything, but Ginsher will not let him. Instead, he demands that he train and prepare in payment for the previous Archmage's sacrifice. He struggles with training, having difficulty speaking, and seems to have less talent or power than he had before. Then Vetch comes to speak with him, revealing that he's a legit wizard now, and Ged says he might become a researcher instead of a mage in the world. Just really get into the archives, you know? Just really learn some facts about names that people forgot. You know, really own that archive. <laughs> but he doesn't do that. Humbled, he continues his studies and eventually becomes a blue-cloaked wizard in one paragraph. And that's all we read for this episode. 
I have two questions. Yeah. One's for Cameron, one's for Michael. Yeah. Uh, Cameron, you went from Ogion to Ogion and back again, and um, we're going to need to make a decision on this one. I don't think we do. I think we can waffle. We can waffle. Okay. <laughs> we can waffle. I can. I no got no names. issue waffling. Yeah. I guess Ogion is probably not his true name anyway. No. Yeah. Yeah. Right? We'll it means it means a fur cone. It does mean fur cone. That's right. Yeah. Um, uh, There's nothing better than a fantasy book that's like, I told you a word. It means another word, and neither of those words are the real word. <laughs> well, this is a great segue to my second question. Michael, how you doing? Because this is all <laughs> fantasy as hell. Uh, Did we lose Michael? I don't know. Michael, are you there? Michael? 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 <laughs> Michael! Michael! <laughs> dun, 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 dun. I think we lost okay. Michael. This is so <laughs> fantasy-laden that Michael has evaporated. He did. Am I back? You're back. Yeah, there you go. There you are. Weird. Okay. Very weird. Uh, I'm I'm all right. <laughs> <laughs> just just uh, force quitting out of the driver that makes your microphone work to not have yep. to talk about fantasy. <laughs> I actually uninstalled it. <laughs> <laughs> I refuse uh, to talk about wizards and fur cones. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, uh, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm all right with this, right? Uh, I think... The wizard school stuff is maybe where I get the most bored a little bit, um, but it's mercifully like very, very short yeah. in terms of what we read. Uh, and overall, like I find. So I guess there's this a couple of things to mark out here. One is like Le Guin's quality as a writer and just like the the pleasure of watching her do the thing that she can do. Right. Like the way that she sets the scene on Gaunt and tells us about who lives on Gaunt and what are they like and what's. Sparrowhawk's aunt like and all that stuff just like the 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 very so to contrast with what we read before with like uh book of the new sun which is uh ostentatiously baroque mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. um obscure like, purposefully yes. obscure yep. <laughs> right uh and that's that's gene wolf's power move right like that is the thing that gene wolf does and that's kind of like him working uh all of his little tricks and all the things that he does uh, and that is uh, kind of his artistic philosophy, or at least some version of it as it relates to the project that was Book of the New Sun. Le Guin, on the other hand, and in particular, like with this book, um, is dealing like she's so much more straightforward. And at the same time, like there are power moves, mm-hmm. right? Like the uh, ways that uh, I'm trying to think of if. This might did this happen in this? So I don't have my book with me, folks. I'm traveling, so I did not bring the tome with me, so I can't consult any of my notes. Michael's been on a boat. Uh, mm-hmm. He's he has pierced the veil, and he's on a knoll right yeah, now, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. waiting uh, to solve just, a riddle to enter a door. It's a whole thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so just like the the way that Le Guin can be. The, the simplicity of the folktale, right? Where Ged, before he's Ged, uh, he hears his aunt call the, call, say a word to a goat and yeah. the goat comes toward her. And he remembers this. And then later on, he's out in the field and he wants to impress some some other kids. And so he calls all the goats to him, except they all come to him. Yeah. And it turns out he doesn't know the word that makes the goats not come to you. And so <laughs> it's you so get this good. One, you get this wonderful image of this like, He's like, I don't know, seven or eight at this point, right? This like eight-year-old boy coming into town uh, surrounded by this cluster of goats. <laughs> well, <laughs> like, help. Well, you said that uh, uh, Earth of the New Sun was uh, like watching someone kind of like clip through, you know, the the, the walls of reality. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, Ged on the goats is like Ged using console commands for herding. Yes. And like not knowing how they work. Like like yes. big head mode gone the wrong way. <laughs> I'm, I, I'm gonna stop praying. You're making my goats too powerful. It's, it's very funny. Yeah. Uh, and so just, uh, uh, you know, like little, little sequences like well, and that. And that is like uh, a paragraph. That's the other thing here, right? Is like, yes. the, this is not a four page, you know, thing about the goats mm-hmm. surrounding him. This happens, it happens efficiently. It happens briefly. Mm-hmm. And we, and then we get to the, the, it's our way into Ged's relationship with his aunt, the witch, who then is going to try to manipulate him. Right. Mm-hmm. And that gets a page or two, you know, but, but even that isn't the whole of the chapter. You know, mm-hmm. right. And so there's just something very admirable about watching the way that Le Guin can uh, compress a lot of incident and a lot of incident that feels uh, important or if not important, tells you something really interesting about the characters and how they relate to the world uh, in a, a very straightforward and efficient way. And it's just really cool watching her do that. Mm-hmm. And also, I guess uh, the other part of this then is like generically, this is fantasy, but uh, it is, as I said uh, at the beginning, it's a lower fantasy. We're not mm-hmm. uh, talking about like Boromir, the son of blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And here's the lineage and all this stuff. And uh, here's and, you know, we get some history, right? Like Earthsea is a place with history and Gaunt is a place with history. Uh, but rather than kind of the, the tweeness of the hobbits, for instance, it's like, yeah, uh this is a fishing village mm-hmm. or a, a shepherding village. Uh, you actually have this here in, in the notes, Cameron, that Gaunt is famous for goat thieves, pirates, and wizards, yeah. right? So there's uh, the the sort of lower, rougher, rough and tumble kind of uh, people. And also the background of that is a world in which there is magic. And some of these people who are uh, goat thieves and pirates are related to the goats, goat thieves and pirates are also wizards, right? Mm-hmm. So there's uh, uh, something closer to the ground about the way that the fantasy is working here uh, that I, on the whole, tend to like better than the high fantasy mode, mm-hmm. which is elf princesses with all their lineages and then, uh, uh, well, they're going to be dragons eventually, but like different sorts of, or the dragons will be handled differently, I mm-hmm. guess, right? They're not like Skyrim dragons mm-hmm. with like, wild names and bizarre design. Well, they are actually. They are. Kind they of kind of are. With- yeah. You just like but, how it is, how it goes in this one. Yeah. yeah, I just like how it goes. I have three things to say about this. First, Austin, did you hear that? He doesn't even know that Boromir is the child of Dinothor II oh and God. Lady Fendulius of Dol Amroth. <laughs> he doesn't even know the the, the patrilineal form of Boromir. Is, you gotta be careful. That's how you're getting into a wizard's duel. Some old mm-hmm. elf lady's gonna come back, and then a, a shadow demon's gonna appear. You gotta be careful yeah. with all this. Hey, you know what I like about that shadow demon, by the way? What's that? All of its limbs fuck you up. Yeah. <laughs> it, do, it doesn't have like feet and then like claws. It's all claws. It's all claw. Yeah. That's good. 100% That's claw. Good, uh, it's great. It's a good thing here. The second thing is I, I actually put that thing in there that uh, that you just read from Michael or that you referred to because I, I actually just want to read that whole paragraph because I think it is one of the best uh, examples of Le Guin doing that thing of taking so much, as you said, incident and kind of keeping the plot, you know, like the capital P plot moving along while also giving so much character to the world, being very evocative about what's kind of out of the frame. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, this is on page 12 for for us in the big big book. 
some of the villagers, this is when they're being attacked by the um, uh, the Kargs. These yeah, the like Viking-like kind of Viking. Kargs, yeah. Yeah. She doesn't say that, but it's clear that's what's happening here. Yeah, yeah. They're, you know, kind of these Scandinavian raider kind of guys. Some of the villagers fled up the ravines and hid in the forest, and some made ready to fight for their lives, and some did neither but stood about lamenting. The witch was one who fled, hiding alone in a cave up on the Caperding Scarp and sealing the cave mouth with spells. Dunny's father, the bronzesmith, was one who stayed, for he would not leave his smelting pit and forge where he had worked for 50 years. All that night he labored, beating up what all, beating up what ready metal he had there into spear points, and others worked with him, binding these to the handles of hose and rakes, there being no time to make sockets and shaft them properly. There had been no weapons in the village but hunting bows and short knives, for the mountain folk of Gaunt are not warlike. It is not warriors they are famous for, but goat thieves, sea pirates, and wizards. And yeah. like that's why that's why I made the note where I was like, let's go. <laughs> this is it. This is where it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and the one of the third thing I want to say about this is it is fascinating to think about this as as you said, Michael, low fantasy, and specifically a kind of reconfiguring maybe of Conan, right? Mm-hmm. Like sure. a lot, a lot of the big lore of of Conan is redone here, right? Smith, father. Uh, a mother who was absent for whatever kind of reason, being naturally talented at a thing and yeah. then kind of pursuing it. Uh, and of course, there's like kind of the bootstrappy narrative of this kind of fantasy story that Conan is a part of the history of too. Um, and, you know, like uh, Ged, not yet Ged, Dunny. Dunny. As a kid, he's like getting the crap beat out of him all well, the time. But we know he's Ged. It's worth saying this, right? Yeah. Because, yeah, because this is a book beginning. that opens where... We get we get basically three real names and then more broadly five kind of titles or descriptions of Ged on the first page. Mm-hmm. Um, of these, some say the greatest destroyer, the greatest voyager, sorry, the greatest wizard, the greatest voyager was the man called Sparrowhawk, who in his day became both dragon lord and archmage. His life is told in the deed of Ged and in many songs, etc. So it's like, mm-hmm. and then later we get that as his birth name or the name he uses as a child rather was Dunny. So it's like. Mm-hmm. We get there's a little bit of backing into the throne here, right? Like, yeah, oh, I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's going to become the archmage and the dragon lord, but for now, and he'll be written about in the deed of, deed of Ged. For now, he's Dunny, you know, mm-hmm. which is great. and like if you're someone who's reading the serials and reading Conan in the yes. original form, you're getting the same thing too. It's right? the stuff, you, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And so it's really cool to me to see like when tapping into what even at this point in the 60s is going to be a very familiar what we now call low fantasy form, right? And explicitly not the high fantasy of the Lord of the Rings, which is reigning not supreme at this point because it's the 60s, but is like beginning to command the entire conversation. Mm-hmm. Whereas like when we get into the 70s and 80s, Tolkien alias style is, is so, so heavily dominant. Um, and eventually, you know, comes to dominate a lot of stuff until we get to that devious Harold Potter. Um, another thing here, I just want to, you know, kind of going to the, the Conan, like innate, innate talent. One of the big things that starts developing here in this first chapter um, is, is the thing of like, Oh, Ged just got it. You know, uh, yeah. Ged just has a knack for it. He overhears his aunt use that, that rhyme. And then he just does it. You know, and it's just, it's, it's as strong as, as you could imagine the thing with the, with the Rams, um, uh, and, and then throughout it's like, okay, this is a world where, you know, he's born with it and what he needs is training, right? What he needs is to, is to turn that raw talent into understanding, but it's in him. 
which lines up nicely with the idea of things of true names and and some people are mage born and etc. And I say that again, not to say like it's not freighted, it is, but it, it, there is a a clarity that that is the way that this works at least at, at this point, or at least for these people and for the narrator, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and it's something you know I made a joke about Yoda stuff in the summary, but th- there's a way that you can see that genre forms are. Uh, running into each other and kind of taking shape in the 60s and 70s, right? You know, there, mm-hmm. there's this kind mm-hmm. of... Uh, the way that magic is talked about here is the way that the Force will go on to be talked about later on in Star Wars, and that's not to be like, and George Lucas stole it from Ursula. That's not what I'm saying, It's right? in the air, like, a little. It's in the air, exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah, he totally stole this part where Dunny fights IG-88. <laughs> Uh, if only IGDH show up in this book. Um, uh, but, but like, I, I want to contrast, I want to contrast the mage born stuff and the idea that like, yeah, true, true names and true speech exist to what the narrator says about women's magic. Um, mm-hmm. uh, here, you know, when discussing this aunt who, it, who does try to manipulate Dunny, right. Who does mm-hmm, try yeah. to like bind him to her service and fails to do that. Um, the, the book is like, you know, there's a saying on Kant, uh, uh, women, uh, weak is women's magic. And there's another saying wicked is women's magic. And the narrator kind of goes on to say like, now listen, uh, when people get magic, when people have power, they use it to dubious ends. Uh, but that, that's not really about women. That's just about power. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and I think that like, there's an interesting thing there where the narrator voice is willing to interject in certain instances to say, this is a part of the world, and this maybe speaks to some of your anthropological, per, you know, perspective, right. right? That like, oh, the, the, you know, Gaunt has culture, and part of that culture is to to be uh, is to to have a position on gender and gendered work and gendered magic, which is a type type of work, right? Um, uh, in contrast to you know uh, the stuff that is seems to be present being presented as fundamentally true about the world, right? And just a thing to keep mm-hmm. in, our, in our foreground as we continue to read. Yeah, and, and the first four chapters make it pretty clear, too, that uh, if, you're, if you are a young man and you are uh, have an aptitude for magic, a wizard's probably going to show up and yep. help you out. Yep. There is no pathway to education in wizardry for women that we have seen in the first four chapters. Well, you could be the daughter of an enchantress, and then you could exactly. be sent to try right. to steal magic from a precious goat herd boy. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, and we don't know yet where like where do enchantresses come from? Who could say? And we right. don't know yet, right? That, know. So there's a little bit of the mystery too, right? That there's this kind of young men being young men and going to wizard school and that kind of thing. And then there's this like other stuff happening over there. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's gender divided and maybe we'll learn about where that goes in this book. Maybe not. Maybe it'll take Le Guin, um, a couple decades to think this through fully. But, uh, but yeah, yeah, I think that's a, a cool thing to point out. I also like the idea. I like the cultural expectation here where it's like Ged is born. He's like the youngest of a bunch of kids. They all kind of grow up as they go. His, his mother dies kind of like right after, um, He's born, and then his aunt, who is this kind of you know witch woman, uh, or not just kind of, she's called a witch explicitly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. that's like her title in the way that like wizard, sorcerer, mage. These right these words lives at the margins of the village, does right. some healing, but not a lot. Does some goat stuff when someone when a goat gets stuck on a tree or on a big mm-hmm. cliff or whatever. You get the goat down with the witch woman, you know? She'll get you, she'll give you a potion. She'll give yeah. you a potion to like make people like you. She'll give a potion to make people unhappy. <laughs> she could yeah. do that too. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but you know, we get the sense that uh, I like the characterization of that, which is like, this is a town 
it's kind of hard scrabble. Uh, you got to make your way. And like, once she gets into the age where he can be a little self-sufficient, you know, six, seven years old, maybe she just kind of abandons him and doesn't pull him back in until he's 10, 11, 12. When she's, when she realizes he has an aptitude for magic and he's like, you know, just being his dad's assistant and like running the forge or whatever. Right. Like it's a real, like you said, Michael, low fantasy, hard scrabble, here's the deal kind of life. And I like that. Like in, mm-hmm. in my fantasy bias, that's always the thing I'm going to like more than, you know, you're the seventh son of a seventh son who, um, you know, is the true crown king or whatever. Yeah. I think that I just, I, I want another maybe thing to read for is labor and work mm-hmm. uh, in this world. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, and, and then how magic intercedes with that a bit later, what we're going to get, Get on the a bit later in this set of readings, you know, in chapter chapter two, um, <laughs> we, we get get on the boat, uh, and <laughs> where the like, captain's like, "Hey, man, can you do wind magic? So, dude, can you do wind magic? Because if you could do wind magic, this whole situation is better, you know? Yeah, um, it's gonna like change our day. If yeah, you can do totally, wind magic. totally. And there's a lot of there's there are a lot of words, you know, relatively speaking, spent on things like, "Hey, it's hard to row a boat in the storm." Because uh, the oars can get stuck in a weird way. You have to maneuver them in a particular way, and you have to be bailing constantly. Um, the the world, world feels physical. Uh, it, it, it is – and I think this is part of why it reads as low fantasy insofar as the, the, the kind of genre d- distinction makes a lot of sense or is useful to us. Is that like you can feel that, that, that you got to work the bellows on the forge, you know? Yeah. And that's part mm-hmm. of what makes magic so magical is that mm-hmm. – or, or it, it's part of what makes it believable – that Ged would be, uh, you know, enraptured by the idea that magic could make things easy, that you could turn a yeah. rock to a diamond because, oh, my God, it's hard to live out here, man, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And if we can just turn rocks into diamonds, then we can really change things. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, but again and again, the book is like, no, no, no. The way magic works is you can move a storm somewhere, but you can't stop a storm. You know, uh, the image you, you, you get at one point about the two weather majors or yes. where he's like, yeah, when you're on the island, you can watch a cloud get bounced from place to place as different weather mages are, are trying to push it away from their village. Yep. That's so mm-hmm. cool. What, a, so what a good, good image. Yeah. And that's and part as you're I, saying there, right? You can't get rid of it. You it's 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 labor. You just yeah. like yep. the dude whose job it is to control the weather. He goes up there. And he's like, go away, rain cloud. Go yep. get out of here. Yep. So I think that's just another through line here, both in this section and the next section uh, that we'll read, is what is what is work in this world? Mm-hmm. How does work intersect with wizardry? Because um, it, it it does. It continues to. Yeah, I, I think a way of thinking about that too here is is uh, that that on one end, magic in this book, at least so far, magic is a technology for just accomplishing things in the world. Mm. And on the mm-hmm. other side, it's a, a kind of philosophy or a wisdom or a way of life, right? right? Which is like, mm-hmm. what uh, what is our decision? Is it Ogeon, Ogeon? What do you want? I think it's Ogeon because it's Gaunt and it's Ged. Yeah. Yeah. It, Ogeon is Le Guin's preferred pronunciation. Okay. We'll go with Ogeon then. Uh, but that's kind of what Ogeon's like. You know, Ogeon's like, do you want to be someone who like learns how to run a, uh, you know, a milling machine? Or do you want to think about wood all day? And eventually you like master wood and, and gets like, I want to learn how to run the machine. Thank you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I would like some technical training in the, in, in woodcraft, you know, 
but but it's both things, right? Like that magic is this kind of numinous uh, thing beyond the pale. You can only grasp at it. You can understand some techniques for touching it, but you'll never perhaps master it fully. Right. You know, that that that's the Ojeon way. And then it's, yeah, it's like the thing that you can train into to make the, the clouds go away or to make the boat go in the direction you want or to like make water run uphill or whatever you need to do. Um, and both of those things are true and different people in this book so far have different desires of magic. And I think that's going to be really important too. Yeah. Anyway, uh, these, these cards are coming. Yeah. what y'all think about this card? So, uh, you know, Dunny's growing up, he's come to the thing. He's learned a little bit of magic from his aunt and then the Kargs come, they're part of the Karg empire. You know, they're raiders and they raid a bunch of islands and they show up on their island and they kind of start storming inland because Ged lives on the um, kind of mountainside in the middle of the island. And uh, and they like rout their enemies. I mean, the whole island does. It's a, it's a very cool. I don't know. Y'all tell me what, what y'all think about this kind of invasion and then repelling kind of thing. Well, it's it's great because uh, the other thing that Le Guin is really good at doing and is doing throughout this book is um, knowing when to put her foot on the gas about Ged being a little shit mm-hmm. versus yeah. actually being uh, sort of, you know, having his the right inclinations and being useful and being willing to help people. Right. That's another thing that I think is worth talking about here, particularly within the context of like young adult literature, right? This is providing, this is, it's didactic in as much as, uh, you know, Ged is going to learn a lesson in this story. And that is going to be a lesson about his character. And that is meant to uh, impart something to the readers about how they conduct themselves in the world. Yeah. yeah. Again, presumed the, young reader be going mm-hmm. through their own, their own growth into, into young adulthood. Yeah, but it never feels particularly preachy because the ways in which Ged uh, is uh, awful are extremely believable and they're never uh, like absurd or like overabundant. Right. He is he is vainglorious and self-interested in a way that a young, talented child is often Mm -hmm. vainglorious and self-interested. And nevertheless, uh, when when the rubber hits the road here, he is able to work this little feat of magic where he calls up a a huge fog bank that catches the cargs off guard and allows uh, him and the other villagers to to catch them. And like they they like run them off a cliff, right? They like pull them up the mountain and then like uh, run them off a cliff. And you see the uh, day we were recording this, uh, the there is a long IGN video of this class being added to Dragon's Dogma 2. Is that true? Yeah, the trickster <laughs> is all of it. They have like a magical sensor that they like wave around and create fog illusions. And like the build that they showed off was explicitly about creating like uh, fog duplicates of like mist like duplicates of yourself off of, of a cliff mm-hmm. and making it look like there is there is ground where there isn't. And then just wildly <laughs> coyoteing your enemies off of cliffs. <laughs> So we found it finally a video game. I was actually thinking about this a second ago. Which yeah. Like I did that search for, for Ursula K. Le Guin video game, and mm-hmm. the fact that it was you saying, "Hey, we could learn from Ursula K. Le Guin in this industry," and then the one Moby game shout out is actually indicative because, like, if you typed in Tolkien video games, oh, you would mm-hmm. get a bunch of top ten video games that feel like the works of Tolkien, and that yeah. is just not out there for Le Guin. There are is not right. an Earthsea game, or and there are not yeah. people out there being like, "We're trying to capture the sense of of magic that exists in Earthsea." That doesn't, yeah. that isn't happening. Sorry for the well, little there, side 
diatribe. No, no. I, well, I think that that's right. And something that you're typing on, you're hitting on too, Michael, which is like where Le Guin, know, Le Guin knows how to make Ged and any kind of character, but you know, we get the most out of him, knows how to make him feel like a human. You know, he, he yes. feels like a person because he's kind of vain and headstrong and jealous in a way that mm-hmm. I think we would want to be like, and that's how kids are. And he does have these kind of kid characteristics, you know, that it, he's not, he's purposely written as a teenager at, at his oldest here, right? But there's some ways that he is petty and vain and like can't let a thing go. You know, there's a couple times in here where he's like made fun of at a party. And like, mm-hmm. would you get the one sentence where it's like, and Ged carried that with him all night long and he yeah. was unhappy at the party. And that's yeah. just like human behavior, right? Like we've all had that experience at some point where you like said something wrong or you like made a bad joke or you you thought you were saying something really cool, but then it like, it, you know, was minimizing to someone else or whatever, right? You've made a faux pas. And yeah. you're just like, oh, why? Why did I yeah. do that? Right. Well, and, I think part of what makes that hit too here is like, mm-hmm. uh, I think a lesser writer would have made, um, would have had a bigger blow up between Ged and the various people that make him feel small or that yeah. disabuse yeah. him of his curiosity or that mm-hmm. uh, feel like they're trying to manipulate him immediately. And instead, in these, in, in each case, it's about a small, slow piling on of resentment. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I love in the scenes you're talking about in the wizard school where on Roke, where uh, Ged is being made fun of at a party and he laughs along with it because that is mm-hmm. the most grounded way to write that character, right? Mm-hmm. It's not that yeah. he explodes in the moment. It's that he like, okay, ha, 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 yeah, we're all having a good time here, aren't we? And then it's the later where it really starts to like get under your skin. And that's the same thing that happens in some ways with Ogion. And it's the same thing that happens uh, in, in some ways with his relationship with his father, except in mm-hmm. the other direction, which is like, He's going to keep working at the stupid forge and he doesn't like doing that. And he's and especially in the in the moments before the cargs come, he's like exhausted. He's like been working the forge all night. This is not he he already knows in his heart of hearts he's he wants better than this in his life. Um yeah. and the moment where he he tells his father like I'm do like get everybody out of here. And his father knows like, "Oh, you just summoned all this fog." Is sick. Uh it it really mm-hmm. boils over in a great really cool well, way. The thing that happens two seconds before that is that Ged stands up and like he knows what he's supposed to do. So he like does the incantation or whatever it is yeah. to make the fog come. And as he's doing it, his father just hits him in the side, just yes. claps him in the side of the head, right? And because his father thinks he's endangering everybody, and his only way of communicating with Ged is to hit him. I yep. mean, we, we understand that so far, right? Well, and he's like, fine, if you don't want to fight, go hide. Right. And he's right. like, and then it takes him a beat to realize, oh, my son has just summoned. <laughs> All of this missed to save us, you know? Yeah. I mean, he used to and say the, as much, but. It, it, well, and the thing that, I, that, sorry, I'm like backing into, not the throne, haha, but the thing that we were talking about before, which is that, you know, part of it's this humanness to all these characters. Mm-hmm. And you could see that father-son interaction happening. That feels like a real human thing to do. It's bad. It's not good, but it feels human. Um, but you know, we don't, we don't see these things in games because games are often not good at that, right? Right. They're, they're not Mm -hmm. good at the kind of, uh, subtle moment maybe, right? And the (laughs) ones that are, are, you know, they stand out, right? You know, your Disco Elysiums, your, um, you know, even like your God of Wars, right? Whether you think that's successful or not is whatever, but it does attempt these kind of things or, you know. Like another important thing I think to say here in as many words 
because I was also thinking about this as a contrast with something like Book of the New Sun is um, the philosophy of power that is happening here, Mm -hmm. right? Like what is power? Who has it? uh, Like what is the right use of it is very, very different from uh, what Wolf is doing. And it's very, very different uh, in most ways from Tolkien. And it's extremely different from video games as power fantasies Mm -hmm. because for Mm -hmm. Le Guin, uh, like power has often bad effects, right? So like the the other thing that really sells the way that Ged works here is that after he calls in this fog bank and holds it there for the entire length of the battle, uh, he the battle ends and he's essentially in shell shock, yeah. right? Like uh, it takes something out of him to exercise his power, even for something that is good, right? Even for helping people, uh, it, it takes something from him and there are consequences for it that, you know, obviously like... Uh, don't maybe scale down to the level of like, oh, he has a cooldown counter. <laughs> yes, it is not as it is not yeah. as uh, simple as that. And I, I think another thing that I think makes this summoning of the fog work so well is it, it's not enough that he does that. It's it's that um, also the people of the village know the village enough to move in the fog. Yeah, uh, and mm-hmm. Le Guin is deft enough to move the perspective briefly to the father and to the other people. As, you know, she she says, you know, oh, um, uh, the smith stared at his son who stood like wraith, who stood wraith-like in that weird dank mist. It took him a minute to see Dunny's meeting, but when he did, he ran at once, noiselessly, knowing every fence mm-hmm. and corner of the village to find the others and tell them what to do. And it's like, yeah, yeah the people of the village know how to take advantage of this because they know the village in that way. And that's, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, we talk about video games a lot on this because we're all deep in that space. That's not a thing games do super well. <laughs> Slip perspective away from the, the heart of the power fantasy. And it's not a thing that, um, the when I grew up trying to read fantasy novels, um, it, it was rarely interested in the villagers who are fleeing enough to talk about that part of how they get away is knowing their own village. And it was mm-hmm. often interested in the cool flaming sword, you know, that the guy summoned or whatever. Yeah, there, like the there's a sword. Well, there's an interesting thing, too, where like the kind of Tolkien move that that sets the standard for a lot of high fantasy is that a kind of stolid dignity, you know, uh, mm-hmm. a, a, the good fashion working folk who stand up straight yep. and do the thing. And like this is a town that's like partially full of cowards. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, and I don't mean that in a mm-hmm. super negative way. They are just people who are afraid. Right. They're not they warriors. Again, like they're, the, the they're, bit yeah, that you said. Not- Right, right. They're they're not that sort of that particular like English fantasia of right. the stiff upper lip, right. right? Yeah. But but she does have this maneuver that she does, and it happens here, and it happens a couple other places where there's a kind of melancholic, I don't know, um, resilience or reality, right? Just to take it, you know, play the ball as it lays, right? So so this is on page fourteen. We've made it all the way to page fourteen. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, down. This is after. This is the kind of aftermath of the fight, right? Down in the village, the house that had been set afire still blazed. They ran to put the fire out since their battle had been won. In the street near the great yew, they found Dunny, the bronzesmith's son, standing by himself, bearing no hurt but speechless and stupid like one stunned. They were well aware of what he had done, and they led him into his father's house and went calling for the witch to come down out of her cave and heal the lad who had saved their, their lives and their property, all but four who were killed by the cargs and the one house that was burned. Right, like, and that—that's our final like tally, yeah. right? Yeah, it's mm-hmm. not in the legions fought. It's not there. There were heroes that distinguished themselves or whatever, right? It's people did what they had to do, and and you know we find out that 
the I, you know one of the people who died is the person whose house was burnt right the leather mm-hmm. worker or something like that um he speared through yeah uh, because he was doing guerrilla tactics on the cards because <laughs> they burned his house down yeah. and like that's such a portrait of a person right of I'm going to go in, I'm going to do the thing, this kind of, well, this is what has to be done. It's not about heroism. It's about the task ahead of you. Going back to what you were talking about earlier about labor, right? right. There's something yep. here. Mm-hmm. There's also something about this coming out of the late 60s, right? <laughs> uh, I know, mean, 68. You know, I'm not trying to make everything a Vietnam allegory, y'all. <laughs> but, you know, anyway, point B. Mm-hmm. I, I think there's something to that. It, that. That's the other side of the way of the way that Ged is painted, right? Is that people all get painted in that very human kind of way. Yeah. Whereas like, like that's not book of the new son. <laughs> you know oh, what I mean? Like, no. <laughs> you know, no. Yeah. No. like even Jonas, you're most every man of an every man, like talks in like, you know, little idioms and things like that. Right. Yeah. There's, there's none of that here. These are just like people living their life, but it, even but, though but it's, it's a fantasy book. Also not the sort of, um, creation of a f- folk history of a better age where the low income peripheral, you know, uh, people of the village were upright and noble. And we've lost that because of the encroachment of pop culture and industrialization. <laughs> yeah, <no>. Right. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. It's a, uh, it's not because the, the farmer folk are on their phone too much now. Correct. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> right. well, but that is important. That's another kind of distinguishing thing uh, from Tolkien, right? That's Modernity yeah. is not wrecking their shit. Right, like they're having a good time when like technology appears or whatever, and they still have a culture that is beyond that. There's a clear continuity between like magic use and not, and there is a kind of mythopoetic past. Mm -hmm. We get a little bit of like the Iliad here, right? Mm -hmm. That's kind of like the Elfara narrative, right? She was like beautiful, and she like made the world change or whatever. We don't know enough about it yet, but that's the kind of hint that we get. So we're post some mythic age, right? But it is not. The beautiful empire of what was, at least not right. so far. Mm-hmm. It's almost like a history's piling up or something. Some, some sort of big <laughs> tr- trash pile for an angel to look at. Oh. <laughs> uh, Ogian shows up to be like, uh, this kid is sick and also sick. Both meanings of the word. Uh, I can cure him. And then also he's going to need some schooling by me because there's nothing more dangerous than uh, a mage born untrained. And he takes them. He's Do you agree like, hey. with that? Do you think that's true? I I think that it's probably pretty true to be like, I don't know. Like, Ged is not on a great. I guess Ged just did a cool thing, which is great. Um, but I don't know that Ged is going to be like. I don't think Ged is going to keep making good decisions without a little guidance, you know? Yeah. Ged is very much on a course to, like, get himself killed yeah, because he's trying to show right. off. Like, I mean, that's literally, literally, this is basically almost what happens. Like, that <laughs> yeah. is, in fact, the engine of the book. Right. Like, without Ogion coming in and, like, you know, doing something, uh, Ged probably ends up getting crushed by goats, right? Right. Like, he does the goat thing again. Or the carbs uh, come and- back and goes, this time I will use fire. And it does not. <laughs> it goes, yeah, boom. Exactly. Well, yeah. So, you know, he, Ogion's basically like, hey, I want you to learn magic. Let's walk around and not do any magic. And, and this is where Ged is so well painted here too, right? Where he's just, mm-hmm. he's he's a little kid. He's like twelve, and he's good at magic, and he wants to learn magic. 
And Faroogion is a way of life. It's a way of contemplation. You get there by observation and a kind of, um, you know, mystic way of the world, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's a, mm-hmm. little, there's a little bit of, uh, I don't know, hippie stuff going on here, right? Yeah. Remember yeah. that kind of thing? I, you know, I did, I did, I think you mentioned Yoda here, and I did write the note, fuck off Yoda, uh, <laughs> on mm-hmm. page 17, <laughs> where, where Ged is like, but I haven't learned anything yet. And Ogion says, because you haven't found out what I'm teaching. <laughs> This is exactly, that is exactly (laughs) where I came into the Yoda thing. I'm not exaggerating whatsoever. That's 100% where I was like, this fucking Yoda. This fucking Yoda shit. And it's pre-Yoda Yoda. It's pre-Yoda Yoda. Yeah. I mean, this is just the guy, right? This is the, the wise sage. This isn't new, but it's, but it's, it's here. I mean, it's Merlin. (laughs) It's Merlin. Right. It is Merlin. This is some sword in the stone stuff. Um, yeah, so Le Guin says, like, the, her her launching off point for this book entirely is her thinking, well, surely Gandalf and Merlin must have been young men at some point. Yeah, damn. Right, true. and so. <laughs> I don't Gandalf. know if that's actually true about Gandalf. I don't no, think I don't is. think that's actually, and, and Merlin actually aged backwards, so, like, yeah, he was a young man. Hey, uh, Merlin Benjamin Button? Yeah. Yes. That's his whole deal. Is that he's Merlin. a Benjamin Button. Yeah. He, he was born an old man from a rock and then aged into a baby. Yeah. Huh. And he's like reborn or something. I forget how there's yeah. like a cyclical thing going on with him, right? Yeah. It's inconvenient. Yeah. Not if you want to be 40 years old. <laughs> Perfect. Well, how old did he live to be? I don't know. Like don't two, know. like two or three hundred years old. Oh, okay. That's actually yeah. really convenient. Yeah. It's pretty sweet. <laughs> Although I don't know. Was he born? Does, does his knowledge progress as if he were in that way? So does he have to go through like puberty when he's like in real time, like 250 years old? Right. This is what I'm, this is why I'm confused. Yeah. I, I see what you're it saying. gets weird. Yeah, for some reason, the they they didn't get into this. <laughs> they weren't updating the fan wiki huh. with <laughs> Merlin puberty dates. <laughs> Seems like they could have thought about that. Uh, I've got some notes for these uh, post medieval <laughs> authors about Arthur, what they could be is... doing for good. Yeah, this is the first time you're meeting me, but unfortunately, <laughs> this is the last time I've met. I'll met, meet you. <laughs> so he goes. In, he's like super pissed off about this. Ged is, and he also had the option. We didn't talk about this before, uh, but he had the option before Ogion takes him. Uh, he had the option to like go work with like a weather mage. Yeah, right. The weather just, mage like, one shows of those, up. Yeah, one of the cloud bumping guys. Right. He's yeah. like, hey, you want to come hang out with me? And so it's like. You know, so Ged thinks about that. He's like, oh, you know, why am I hanging out with Yoda when I could be learning how to shoot clouds with a gun? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, or whatever they do, however they do it, right? Uh, and so he's like really bummed about that. And so he steals a book. He goes in when Ojeon's not there, right? He goes in and gets a book and like starts, and it's it's a super cool description. I don't have it in front of me, but it's a yeah, super cool description. Of the oh, book, I got right? this. I got this. Oh, you got it? Pretty sure this is this is on page twenty one, I believe. Okay. Uh, yeah, it, it here it is. Um, I guess it actually it starts on page twenty. The setup to this is he's he keeps running into this girl. Ogian lets him go hang out outside, you know, and like be in the world because that's kind of Ogian's whole thing. Real self directed education, you know, pedagogy. Yeah. Um, uh, Ogian and, invented Montessori on Earthsea. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but while he's out there, he keeps running into this girl who is like. 
can you summon something? Can, oh, you're a cool <laughs> wizard. Show me a trick. And and Ged's like, yeah, I'm a, I'm a pretty cool wizard. Uh, uh, but he, she's like, can you change into something? He's like, I, yeah, I could. I totally could. And eventually he's like, I have to fucking learn how to change into something before the next time I run into her. So he pulls his book down uh, from the shelf. Uh, and this is in the beginning of the bottom of page 20. He looked for a spell of self-transformation, but being too slow to read the runes yet and understanding little of what he read, he could not find what he sought. These books were very ancient, Ogion having them from his uh, from his own master, Heleth Farseer, and Heleth from his master, the mage of Paragol, and so back into the times of myth. Small and strange was the writing, overwritten and interlined by many hands, and all those hands were dust now. Yet here and there, Ged understood something of what he tried to read. And with the girl's questions and her mockery always in his mind, he stopped on a page that bore a spell of summoning up the spirits of the dead. As he read it, puzzling out the runes and symbols one by one, a horror came over him. His eyes were fixed and he could not lift them till he had finished reading all the spell. Then, raising his head, he saw it was dark in the house. He'd been reading without any light in the darkness. He could not now make out the runes when he looked down at the book, yet the horror grew in him, seeming to hold him bound in his chair. He was cold. Looking over his shoulder, he saw that something was crouching beside the closed door, a shapeless clot of shadow, darker than the darkness. It seemed to reach out towards him and to whisper and to call to him in a whisper but he could not understand the words. And then Ogion shows up and is like, I'm Gandalf, bright lights, get out of here, darkness. Mm-hmm. Uh, it if rules. you're a wizard and you're not using your bright light powers, if you're not <laughs> casting light like 24-7, you're, li- you're leaving money on the table. Well, the, they, he does that from the point at which he gets to school yeah. and learns how to cast light. He's got a little yeah. like mage light orb following him around constantly, so... Yeah, yeah, that's it's like cool. one of the main things the wizards and like apprentices are doing, which is awesome because it, it again it shows like the, the practicality of magic. Yeah, here. like the number one thing it's like it's my friggin' cell phone, right? That I'm always <laughs> using as a flashlight. Yes, hundred <laughs> percent. But not to detract from what you just said, Austin, which is that that whole thing is super cool, right? It's so all good. of those hands back to time immemorial are now <sighs> dust, and Ged is here doing it, and he's just reading this cursed volume. Can't stop reading it. He can't to impress a girl, right? It's yeah, like the most yeah. human ass thing. Who who among us has not you know summoned a <laughs> demon from hell <laughs> to impress someone? Well, and then right? and then Ogion is like, dude, what did I tell you about her? <laughs> did I tell you that a girl's mother, the Lord's wife, is an enchantress? And that's not something we, the reader, have gotten before. No, but no. Not. This, is, this is the most book of the new sign that the book is. Where it's yeah. like, oh, he must. He didn't tell us about what. Why is Ged not telling us? Right. Uh huh. He wasn't this paying attention the, in this case. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Ged also, sorry like, oh, to anyone who's coming to this without having listened to the book of the new sun stuff, because it's hard not to reference book of the new. It it has a gravity to it, you know. Um, it's easy. They'll be talk. okay. Maybe they'll still get to go back. Yeah, they I'm should. not like. I'm going to do like a two and a half hour close to read comparison. That you're going to need to be caught up on. <laughs> <laughs> no, I would never. But. No. But yeah, but a very different style of that kind of thing, yes, right? Like yes. this is a place where we get knowledge that the book treats as if we already had, but Ged did have it. We just don't know because, because Ged not basically didn't. Right. Yeah, it, it wasn't yeah. important to him. Yeah, right. 
like we've got this, it's not, you know, Ged's narration, but the narrator is following Ged's story closely enough. And uh, rather than being kind of like weird obtuse trickery as it often is in Wolf, here it uh, contributes to the uh, forward momentum of the story, right? Yes. We get yes. exposition in the moment the exposition is needed. Yeah. Yeah. And and it's, you know, the, the rest of the scene is just like maybe my, my favorite scene in this section of the reading that we've done at this point. Because it, this is what then blows up into the big fight between Ged and, and Ogiyama, where Ged is like, man, how am I supposed to know about enchantresses if you don't talk to me about any of this stuff? And like, yes, Ogiyan told him, don't fuck with that girl. That the girl's the daughter of an enchantress. But, but you know, he, he Ogiyan gives him this big lecture about like how dangerous uh, uh, power is because in the same way that light is surrounded by shadow, power is surrounded by danger. And, you know, the, we, we, you have to always think about and this is a recurring thing, right? But anytime you do any magic stuff, anytime you use our art, uh, think about whether you're using it for good or evil, or if the result will be for good or evil. Think about the balance. Think about all this stuff. Again, all this stuff is that's just kind of in the air in the late 60s um, in American genre writing. But but Get is like, dude, you don't teach me anything. Um, and we get this great bit from Ogian, who is like, listen. You're not bound to me or my service. You did not come to me. I came to you. I'm not like, I'm not keeping you here. If you want to go to the island and learn flashy wizard magic from the school, that can, we can do that. Uh, and it's so sad. Mm-hmm. Everything that follows here, because, because Ged kind of s- sits on this um, and, and, Le Guin is like, you know, he'd come to love this man, Ogian. He'd only just now realized it in, in this offer. Uh, but and Ogian kind of gives him the ultimatum. He says, listen, choose between here and Roke, the, the the magic school. And he chooses the magic school, but the whole time you can tell that he's like, he's doing it because he feels like he has to make that choice, not because and, and in the doing, he's learning how much he admires Ogion. Mm-hmm. And then doubly so when he like shows up in the cool city on Gaunt where the, the port is. And like everyone is like, oh shit, Ogion's here. The guy who stopped the mountain from shaking or whatever. Yeah, he, like, he uh, holds the earthquake on a leash, I think is what yeah. someone says eventually, right? Yeah. yeah. That's cool. Um, and it's, it's, it's like just such a good, sad you know, teenager thing to, to, to work through is like, you've made a choice. You don't feel good about that choice, but you're going to stick with it because you feel the momentum of the choice that you've made. Um, and you, you are instantly, you know, you instantly realize and feel guilty about, or feel like you didn't take advantage of an opportunity you had, mm-hmm. you know, you quit a sport and then realize how cool the coach was. You quit a, uh, a job and realize that like the, the slightly older teen who you worked with was actually like, constantly being like giving you cool advice or like you know putting you on good albums or whatever now you don't have that person in your life anymore look and, you, know, you get gotta go to nyu austin okay that's what this is basically <laughs> happening yeah yeah basically all the good <sighs> stuff happens in new york he's gotta go to nyu he's gotta go you're right <laughs> Yeah. I love the part of ladybird where he tries to summon the spirit of marilyn monroe <laughs> <laughs> uh incredible yes. So yeah, he goes he, and and oh no, what's the name of the ship? Shadow. Shadow. Yeah. And oh yeah, it's like, ah, are you fucking real? Are you for real? Are you for real? It's going to be the shadow ship. Cool. No, no reason. It's fine. <laughs> 
Yeah. Uh, to then I get maybe just like slip this in here, something that has been implicit in what we've talked about. We talked about it, I think, a little bit. But like by this point, Get has learned that uh, the philosophy of magic is all built on names. Right. Yes. Language yes. is important. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that Ged has to do that he hates doing is he is what is it called? Old Hardic or something. Mm-hmm. Right. He's he's learning the old runes uh, in which uh, magic is written like that is part of his training. So uh, that's a theme we'll probably be talking about more as we go forward. Yeah. Between this chapter and then the the book of or the school of magic chapter, we basically learned that like, hey, there was there's the language that was the, there's the language that was used to create the world. And then there's like one other language that's sort of like descended from it. And those are the two that magic works with. And that is it. And that latter one is not one that's like in common use. It has like, it's an ancient language with like hundreds of runes or something, 400 Mm -hmm. runes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's Latin. Latin doesn't have 400 runes. Wait a hold on. Let me count. One, two, three. Yeah, count them up real quick. Four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. I'm seeing probably good 397. I said, doesn't it 400 rooms? <laughs> You're right. Exactly. You're right. You only. got it. You're right. It is a pass the post thing. It needs four. Yeah. <laughs> this, this, this is a, uh, a price is right. If it doesn't yeah. have 400 rooms. Yeah. It's a reverse price is right. It's the closest yeah. without going under. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, but yeah, I do like that. There's uh, that kind of. Uh, people are aware of all this stuff, but they also like don't know about this stuff necessarily. You know, like magic is for certain people, but like you could learn the runes if you wanted. Yeah, it's just mm-hmm. not like in you know uh, circulation necessarily. Well, and it's like very uh, uh, long term and boring. Mm-hmm. <laughs> long term and boring. A bunch of things most people don't care about. <laughs> Whatever could that be like? <laughs> No, what if your parents were both academic anthropologists? No, never mind. That would never. Wait, what if you worked at a university yourself for? No, certainly that couldn't be it. <laughs> it must be something else. Um, you want to talk about? I I do like the story of how they get, uh, how the boat gets to uh, Roke. Where they're gonna like give up on going because of the storm and get is yeah. like, no, look, the light is the light of the city is over there, or like the light of the lighthouse or whatever. That's Roke. And the guy's like, that's just the sun setting through the clouds. you you don't know what you're talking about. And he's like, keeps going, no, that's it. Like, let's keep going in that direction. I promise. And well, it, it's, he turns out he's right. It's like even 10% better than that, because the guy's like, Look, you're gonna have to figure this out. I tried. I told you I tried to get you there, but I can't. We're gonna have to miss the island. I guess I'll take you to Murder Town, where people yeah. are murdered and sold into slavery. And Ged yeah. internally yeah, is like, it's, "Yeah, it's it's most Eisley, right?" Yeah. <laughs> and Ged immediately is like, "I've heard about that town before. That's where you get murdered and sold into slavery." <laughs> uh, I think that. it's over there. I think that's where it is. Let's go that way. <laughs> Um, and what they're seeing, I think it is cool because it seems like what they're seeing, it's not just like a lighthouse because the Isle of Roke is protected. There's like a bubble around right. it that There's keeps a bubble. Yeah. Keeps storms. Mm-hmm. And I think they're seeing the actual sun, but just as it's seen through the bubble. Or it's maybe not even a bubble. It's like a cone. It's a cone, right. I guess, right? Or a, a, a column. Uh, yeah, I love when they get there and it's like they're getting closer and they can see that the harbor at Roke is still. Yeah. And like, it's as if there's no storm at all. And they're like, what? And the captain is like, shut up, keep rowing. 
<laughs> oh, the thing where he like socializes with the sailor boys who are his same age is also really yeah, good that's too. Also good. They call him mm-hmm. Goat Herd or Goat Boy or whatever, and he knows it's like not mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, yeah, I can take it as well as I can give it. Yeah, I love all the names for all this stuff. By the way, uh, the Armed Cliffs, Barnisk, mm-hmm. and Torhaven, Havenor. Mm-hmm. The archipelago. She loves to use the archipelago. By the way, that also shows well, up. This is an archipelago, isn't it? Yeah, but like capital A archipelago. Oh yeah. yeah. Uh, the uh, that's also on Gethin. There's the archipelago. Mm. Um, Having or Great Porth, Kimbermouth, Way Island, Felkway Bay, the Cape of O, Abavnar Straits. This is in one paragraph that I'm reading. By the way, <laughs> it just keeps going. I love all the names of, of Earthsea. It's so good. I spent a little time being like, let me look at the map and find out where all this stuff is. And I was like, there's too much stuff. I'll yeah. focus on the big stuff. But I actually don't. I realize I don't know where Roke is. Where's I didn't Roke look at? back at the map one time. It's in the inner sea. I know that. So I just read that. Here's there's Torrisk. Uh, there's, there's Gaunt. I know where Gaunt is. Gaunt's kind of big. It's in the inner sea. I guess I know what that means. It's like towards the center. It's towards the big area. Uh, oh, there's that, the oh, inmost. Yeah. Oh, damn, that's far. That's yeah. like, okay. Yeah, there's Roke. So if you're yeah, like yeah. the middle and then like southwest, there's the inmost sea and there's Roke. They had to go kind of far to get there. Yeah, kind of had to sail around the world a little bit. Yeah. Anyway. That's good. He gets to school. Yeah, actually, school. that's not true. He gets to Roke and everyone's like, the wise don't need to ask. The fool asks in vain. <laughs> Yes, everyone is just giving him these like missed You cannot puzzles. always find the warder where he is, but sometimes you'll find him where he is not. They say I'm a madman, but I tell you, my brother <laughs> is the mad one. Exactly. He learned the magic from father. <laughs> he wrote the age. Here's my three-segmented tower. <laughs> exactly. Can you move these three discs across each of the three poles in order? <laughs> I'm thinking of a number. <laughs> I mean, it's that level of like, every time he deals with the doorman, it's just, will you pl- the answer is, will you please help me? Check page 72 of your game book and tell me the 32nd word. L- look in the guide that came with your book. Check the back of the CD case, Snake. <laughs> that's right. That's actually what Metal Gear was re- referencing Earthsea with that. It was referencing Earthsea. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So we didn't talk about that in the last episode, but it did come mm-hmm. up. Uh, you know, we've mentioned, we have mentioned Book of the New Sun a lot. I haven't mentioned Next Stop Christmas too much, but it's going to come up, I bet. If you point. haven't listened to the Next Stop Christmas episode, <laughs> and let me say something. I think numerically even, it might be our most popular episode, by the way. Even if you have listened to the Next Stop Christmas episode, I'm telling you, you should listen to the Next Stop Christmas episode. <laughs> it's good. It's good. We had a good time watching it. It's a fun movie. It's a fun movie. Yeah, people are blast. really liking it. Yeah. It turns out you take a thing kind of seriously, it's you're going to have a good time. Yeah. And it's like, it's also a pretty good, you know, just in like the, the hierarchy of, of that kind of movie. It's pretty yes. good. You know, yes. we weren't mm-hmm. set up to fail by the object itself. Um, whereas if we'd watched the Judd Nelson Santa movie, it's just not hitting at the same level. I can tell <laughs> not, you. Yeah, having yeah, seen yeah. it. Um, but you know what? So Michael, earlier you said not into Wizard School. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was hesitant about Wizard School because I'm also not really into Wizard School. But uh, I, I have to say, the OG Wizard School, pretty cool. 
We've been poisoned by contemporary wizard school. It, yeah. More recent wizard school has ruined wizard school, I think, broadly for me. I mean, uh, that is what is nice is that, like, the wizard school is literally the one chapter. Yeah. Well, maybe mm-hmm. one and a half. It's like two, one and a half. Yeah, one and a half chapters. But yeah, this one's pretty cool because, but you're right, Austin, you know, it is full of, like, people asking weird rizzle, riddles or whatever. But a lot of those riddles, uh, you know, the master of the doorways or whatever, right, who mm-hmm. asks the two things about, like, kind of learning to enter and learning to leave the school. Those are about, like, being a little bit more humble. Yeah. Right. Like mm-hmm. you don't have all the answers. You might just need to ask someone to let you in or to tell you their name. Mm-hmm. Uh, not everything in front of you is like a, a puzzle to be brute forced. And like, I want every 12 year old to know that. Yeah. I want every adult to know that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The thing Please. at the end of this where, where it's, it's, you, oh, you can't leave until you tell them, told me my real name. And finally he comes up and he's like, Hey, it strikes me that I can't tell you, I can't leave unless I tell you your real name. What's your name? And like that's the solution is is like it's it's at this point maybe that doesn't hit the way it did to to either young readers or to readers in 1968. Yeah. But I don't know. I think it's pretty good. I think the the thing of like you do it is good to ask for help. It is good to ask mm-hmm. the question is mm-hmm. a perfectly good young reader mm-hmm. uh lesson to learn. Yeah. It it's it's not only like perfectly good, but it's also like it's it's the sensible solution. You don't have to go it alone, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And like yeah. that that to me, that, that there's a kind of and people will help you. I guess that's the part that I like, right? Which is mm-hmm. like if you do this thing, if you if you're a little humble, if you're not too full of yourself, people will help you out, right? Like you just have to kind of uh you have to give as much as you get, right? Mm-hmm. Um and then he meets Namurl. <laughs> yeah. The thing that happened when he meets him and he's just like you know, Nemurl is the is the archmage and is like mm-hmm. dressed all in white and stuff. But there's this, this like magical moment that actually kind of gets the the illustration uh, on the opposite page. This is on page twenty eight twenty nine. Um, mm-hmm. As their eyes met, a bird sang aloud on the branches of a tree. In that moment, Ged understood the singing of the bird and the language of the water falling in the basin of the fountain and the shape of the clouds and the beginning and end of the wind that stirred the leaves. It seemed to him that he himself was a word spoken by the sunlight is really good. And like, you mm-hmm, got to hit yeah. that if you're going to tell me that the world, that the world is magic and that magic is language. You got to be able to put that, that paragraph together. You know, <laughs> you have to make me believe that someone who's, who is in the presence of a place like this feels like they themselves are words, mm-hmm. you know, um, and, and that they can, that it all clicks into place like that. Uh, it's great. Michael, when did you start rolling your eyes at magic school? Was it this moment? Um, no, I, I think it was sort of like uh, the the initial setup when we get into like the politicking of uh, well, every friend group has yeah. uh, a, a Ged, a Jasper, and a Vetch, right? <laughs> True. Like the setup to that, uh, and like I love how that is all like initiated. And um, you don't know but- who the Jasper is. It might be you. <laughs> Uh, but it's kind of like during the time of their like learning before Ged does the thing that really kicks off the next long arc of the novel with the shadow and everything. Mm-hmm. Just kind of all that. I was like, all right, like, yeah, you're, you're learning stuff. You, they go, there's the place is that they go in the winter, they go to like some tower and they do like the most boring type of studying, which is funny, 
but also oh by the guy who's like all about names that dude yeah they go to the tower of what the isolate tower Yes. His yeah. name is so cool. Karim Kamarak is his name. Which, mm-hmm. which, which, you know, what's the thing with that? It doesn't mean anything in any language. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. Ojalon means a fur cone or whatever, yeah. right? Ged means something. I don't think we know what it means, but it means a thing. Right. This doesn't mean shit. Karim Kamarak, he is his own guy. He's a singularity in the mm-hmm. universe. Yeah, and which he's is the like, guy who commands that, names. That's so cool. Is this the equivalent of being like off the grid behind a Faraday cage in Magic World? <laughs> yeah, like I don't even want my public name to mean anything, let alone my real my real name. Yeah. You know, I I need I need the the tinfoil hat. I need it all. I need the anti. I'm anti five G. You know. <laughs> yeah, current camera burned his social security guard twenty years ago. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. He's he's not about it. He's they talking about the nanny me. state all the time. <laughs> Uh, it's very funny Uh, but this is where we also get that section that you're talking about Michael in the isolate tower is where we get the really clear evocation of how magic works here where it's like all right, a mage can control only what's near him and what he can name exactly and wholly because say you wanted to cast a spell that said let's freeze the ocean well which ocean do you mean because no do you mean the bay in in this particular place the inmost sea because the true name of the inmost sea is not the true name of the whole ocean and no place can have two names can have two true names which again is a very freighted concept uh there is because of that you can only extend your power but so far basically mm-hmm. um which i think is like it's a pretty clean laying out of the rules here that i think that we're going to probably come back to more than more than once you know yeah i was trying to think of like uh i was going to do my my alex jones impression to figure, see what Karin Kamaruk would be up to or where he would mm-hmm. be uh, complaining about the arch Archmage Nemeral. Yeah. <laughs> the Archmage Nemeral tells Nemeral Raven. <laughs> Instead of black helicopters, it's just Raven. <laughs> it's just Raven. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's watching on Uzbek. Tearing on Uzbek. <laughs> now, I don't know about you, but I do not think. Uh... uh. Oh, this um, is a this is super cool too. So, like, he's just they're doing. Oh, we actually have to talk about the Jasper thing. Sorry. Yeah, we do. Uh, I'm sorry. We we got off track a little bit there. Ged, it basically gets shown around by this. Like, Jasper is kind of immediately given to us as like a lord's boy. Yeah, he's a little, mm-hmm. he's a little schoolboy. You know, like a little. We British don't know what boy. that means necessarily, but we know what that means, right? Yeah, he's got some proper language. He's got, he's clearly got like a like a form to his patter that he's expecting to be matched by Ged. Mm-hmm. And Ged is from an island of goat thieves and pirates, and so he like doesn't. And so like Jasper says stuff and is expecting a particular kind of response from Ged, and Ged doesn't know what he's supposed to say, right? So there's this kind of class difference. Although mm-hmm. what that means, we don't really have it. Like you said, we don't have a good sense of. But Jasper specifically resents the idea that Ged knows what that class difference is. Yeah. Because their initial like their initial um, uh, clash is where Jasper's like, listen, we live real plain here. Uh, but I, I bet you won't mind that. And and it's like, whoa, okay, wait a second. What are you talking about? Because I'm from Gaunt, you know? Uh, and and to kind of fire back at him, um, uh, you know, Ged says – um, I'm used to it. I suppose you weren't when you first came. 
In other words, like, I bet you were pampered, you little rich kid. And Jasper is like, what could you know about what I, and then he does say son of the Lord of the domain of Elog on the, right. on the Isle of Havnor am or am <laughs> not used to, which, you know, again, yes, maybe he is a rich little kid, but also who knows what the Lord of Havnor or whatever, mm-hmm. how he was raised, you know, you right. never know what someone's background actually was. Mm-hmm. Well, like crucially, uh, and this is like such a brilliant move by Le Guin, like, even before this, the very fact that Jasper is courtly makes Ged read him as mocking him because yes. Ged is insecure yes. in that way. Yes. And for all we know, because we're not in Jasper's head, for all we know, like Jasper's doing what he thinks needs to be done. Yep. Right. As, as much as he can. But like uh, there is like a, 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 a reactive quality to Ged here that really decisively turns this relationship early on. And Le Guin, as you're saying, well, that like, ambiguity that, that's so real. that's in the language. Yeah, right. Because I want to read like the way that that is phrased here. This is on page 30. Jasper had a way of smiling faintly as he spoke, which made Ged look for a hidden jeer in his polite words. Yes. Do clothes make the mage? He answered sullen. No, said the older boy, though I have heard that manners make the man. Right. And yeah. so, so yeah, exactly as you're, as you're saying, Michael. There, there's a way where that, and in, in, in Chew Austin, right? The that the ambiguity of how they read one another is it uh, gets primed in a particular way, right? To take what he's saying, and and we know that Ged is, you know, he's a little headstrong and he feels inferior, right? We're we're going to mm-hmm. see that a few times here, um, and he's trying to make up for it. You know, well, so. And unlike the boys in. The the who are working the oars, this is another wizard in training, mm-hmm. and this is someone he's going to have to live with for years. Yeah. Right? It's one thing, you know. This let me let me speak as a as a kid who thought he was the smartest kid in the room, the smartest person in the room for way too long as a child. Right? Uh, when someone who you look down on makes fun of you, it doesn't matter. But mm-hmm. when someone that you think is a potential rival or someone who you might think is uh, you know, oh, you're also in AP classes or whatever. Talks down about you. You don't even need. They don't even need to talk down on you, right? There is a. There is. A, you are primed to feel like you're being judged in a different way. Uh, I was extremely get like in this way as a kid in a way that was deeply embarrassing. You know, um, but but totally like I don't care what you said about me if you're like a jock who isn't in the same class as I'm in. I've compartmentalized that in such a way that I can play along with that without feeling threatened because I've constructed a house of superiority around myself to hide in. But the second someone else who lives in that house targets me or even talks to me, I feel like we're sparring. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, uh, that was, those are some deep, bad scars and bad coping mechanisms uh, that get is learning about. And, and is also, uh, you know, embodying, I suspect. Yeah, did it ever drive you to like uh, I don't know, summon a demon from space hell? No, but I had anger issues. Mm-hmm. You okay. know, sure. Yeah, but if I could have summoned a demon from space hell, I don't know. Probably Maybe would've. I would have. Yeah, I could have. Who wouldn't? I listened to Lincoln Park. That's kind of the same. <laughs> uh, they yeah. understood what it was like. Lincoln Park numb edit, but for the entirety of Earthsea, you just take the exactly. audio book and begin fading it in from exactly. from word one. <laughs> Whenever Ged gets angry, it's, it's the <laughs> volume up in the background. Yeah, uh-huh. 
That would be a very cool look. Here's a project for someone to do that I would legitimately enjoy, which is to like take the Lincoln Park discography and mix it into the Earthsea audiobook. That would be that would be legitimately cool. Try to get the one with Harlan Ellison doing the reading, also. Yeah, yeah. If you Please. could, you know, while we're wishing for stuff. Yeah, uh, I mean that exists. No, I know. Yeah, yeah. Okay, but okay. while we're doing it, let's get this specific version. If we're if yeah, we're yeah, asking, yeah. we yes. need to ask for the if, thing yeah. we want. You know? Right, exactly. Use the true name of the thing. You know? <laughs> That's right. Uh, I haven't listened. Have you listened to that audiobook? No, I have not. I, maybe oh, I heard like mm-hmm. a clip of it, but I didn't, I've not done the whole the whole listen. It's not the one that's like widely available. So the last mm-hmm. time I listened to, I did listen to Earthsea a few years ago um, uh, as like a fun travel task. You know, I was like, oh, let me re-listen to Earthsea. That's a good way of getting through that quick. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, but it was not the Allison one. I should have I should have searched it out at the time. Cool. Anyway, uh, uh, he's they, at the school. Yep, he's they meet Vetch. The what do you think about Vetch? So Jasper's his like kind of rich kid pseudo friend, frenemy. Yeah, and mm-hmm. then he meets Vetch, who's like more his kind of guy. Yeah, so, if, you, if you don't like Vetch, I don't like you. I don't yeah. you know. <laughs> he, is he the Jonas of this book? You know, kind of. Right? I mean, he's my guy. Yeah, I'm about yeah. it. Yeah. Michael, what yeah, were you yeah, going to yeah. say? Well, I, so like I think Vetch is a little freighted because there is a bit of a stereotypical quality about him because he is uh, – hold on. I think I have it right here. Yes, he's he's a heavyset fellow. That's oh, how yeah. we first get him. Uh, who said nothing much but shoveled in his food with a will. So yeah. that we get two scenes early on. And actually this – again, it's kind of like nice that Le Guin doesn't do this every time that Vetch shows up that he's right. eating. Eventually, he gets to do th- other things, but this is like setting a tone that he is a particular type of character. He has very specific interests, and he is like, I mean, he's the I, fat the, black kid who has a heart of gold. Yes, yeah, right? that is what he is. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> and he is kind of like content to chill out and eat his food while his friends have escalating power plays with one another, <laughs> right? And occasionally, he's like, "I guys." I don't come know. On, I think guys. maybe come on. <laughs> he does use the phrase, uh, the food will stick to your ribs, which is <laughs> the most like, I, I don't, is that a thing that people outside of America say? I'm not sure. It feels like an Americanism to me mm-hmm. in a real way. Wait, um, what is the Americanism? The something will, the food will stick to your ribs. Oh, got you. Yeah. You know, hmm. I, I, it's hard for me to imagine it's anywhere else in the Anglophonic world. I guess maybe Australia. I can imagine people in Australia saying food will stick to your ribs. It's hard for me to imagine people in England or maybe even Canada saying it. <laughs> yeah, I can't imagine a Canadian. Can you imagine like a French Canadian? They're like, <laughs> just seems impossible. <laughs> hundreds of our Canadian listeners right this moment are like throwing down their phones in disgust. Hey, we love to say monitors. it, all right? We love to say it, okay? <laughs> oh, boy. That's right. Take trouble. that, Canada. <laughs> we don't call them ribs. We call them side stickies. No, that would be Australia. <laughs> Take no, that, I'm, Australia. We're coming <laughs> for all of y'all. I'm simply wrong about this. This phrase goes back to 1603, at least. Someone, quote, uh, that offered her such kindness as, as sticks by her ribs a good while after uh, from some book about food. I don't know. <laughs> so, Yeah. <sighs> hate to make hate to make some guesses at the world, but mm-hmm. yeah. No, I think after I think we took it. Yeah, I see what you're saying. They stopped. Yeah. So we call it soccer. No, it's, it's like we started it. 
it's like the way that uh, we call them uh, sidewalks and they call them pavements. But like in Shakespeare's time, they called them sidewalks. Did they? Yes. We like the language split there. Right. Huh? Yeah. Interesting. I mean, they didn't they weren't, you know, strictly pavements meant something very specific. But like the sidewalk is the literal term. It's the place where you walk at the side of the street. Right. Uh, and then when they began paving them in, in Britain, they began calling them pavements. Yeah. As, as Americans, we have a, a more fundamental access to uh, the English language. <laughs> we <laughs> understand right. the That's true name of what is right, at the, the side true, of the road. Right. And it's yeah, a sidewalk. Uh-huh. God. I'm just well, applying the tools I'm given. I don't know what you're, I don't know what you're <laughs> dismissing me about here. Okay. I'm reading the book is, and I'm reading the world through the book. Well, this is where we get that specific laying out of, of true name stuff even more on 34 is where we get Ged talking to the master of changing, I think. Um, and being like, Hey man, how can I make a, you know, how do I make, I can, I can make a pebble into a diamond. What must I do to make the diamond remain a diamond? How is the changing spell locked and made to last? Sorry, this is my Ged voice. I'm, 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 (laughs) Uh, uh, what do you call it when you when you like post a selfie with your new partner? I'm soft launching uh, my new Ged voice. Uh, can, can you give us a couple? Give give us a uh, give us in Ged voice. Um, I just had breakfast with a wizard. I just had breakfast with a wizard. Okay, okay. So a little, almost like a like he's a white Ged. Also, by the way, is, <laughs> yeah, I, I was wondering about. Yeah, it's white I mean, that's Ged. That's fine. I'm not going to voice how someone do, sounds. They would not let me do a different Ged. I tried. They they told me they wouldn't sell. So. You took it to the podcast council. And they're the like, podcast look, it's just council. not going to go. Yeah, it's just not going to go. Um, if anyway. he sounds like he's from Birmingham, it's just not going to work <laughs> out. <laughs> Uh, and you're like, but that's actual Ged. Yep, that's what uh-huh. he's supposed to sound that's like. What he's, he's not supposed if to. If he uh, sounds like he's from Houston, you're telling me it's not going to be Ged? <laughs> and they're like, no. Oh, Houston Ged is great in my mind. It would be good. It'd be It'd great. Be like good. literally, <laughs> literally just doing this yeah. with black actors, just uh, reading the lines as given it would give it such a profound flavor, especially like black American actors, right? I think yeah. that would be a really cool way of doing it. Weirdly enough, I think that this could, uh, Earthsea could make for a cool stage play. Oh, it would be a great stage play. And I would mm-hmm. not normally say that, but I think that, I think you could get a lot of this stuff because a lot of it's about like people talking to one another. So, right, right. Uh, so anyway, that's my pitch is everyone is from Houston. <laughs> the old master murmured one word, talk, and there lay a pebble, no jewel, but a rough gray bit of rock. The master took it and held out, uh, held it out in his own hand. This is a rock, Tolk in the true speech, he said, looking mildly up at Ged now. A bit of stone of which Roke Isle is made, a little bit of the dry land on which men live. It is itself. It is part of the world. By the illusion change, you can make it look like a diamond or a flower or a fly or an eye or a flame. The rock flickered from shape to shape as he named them and returned to rock. But that is a mere seeming. Illusion fools the beholder's senses. It makes him see and hear and feel that the thing has changed. But it does not change the thing. To change this rock into a jewel, you must change its true name. And to do that, my son, even to a small, uh, even to so small a scrap of the world, is to change the world. It can be done. Indeed, it can be done. 
It is the art of the master changer, and you will learn it when you are ready to learn it. But you must not change one thing, one pebble, one grain of sand, until you know what good and evil will follow on that act. The world is in balance, in equilibrium. A wizard's power of changing and summoning can shake the balance of the world. It is dangerous, that power. It is most perilous. It must follow knowledge and serve need. To light a candle is to cast a shadow. He looked down at the pebble again. A rock is a good thing too, you know, he said, speaking less gravelly. And then, you know, if all we had was diamonds, where would we live? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's this. That's what's happening here, right? The wizards say, listen, it's it's hard to change a rock into a diamond for real, and it's dangerous to do that. Mm -hmm. Uh, And fundamentally, the the illusion stuff you know is just illusion stuff. It doesn't change the rock. So, much to consider. Do we know what all nine masters are? That gets, I don't know if they've been named yet, but we do get them all named, I think. Isn't it when he realizes that the door master is the last master? Yes. He goes over the big list. Yeah, I got him. A wind key, hand, herbal, chanter, changer, summoner, namer, patterner, and uh, and now master doorkeeper. Yeah. What's the wind key or the wind key? Uh, it's wind key. Is, is yeah. it the weather one? Is that yeah, the, he's the weather guy. It's yeah. literally wind key. Okay, yeah. sure. What's the like master of the hand do? Um, I don't know. Yeah, but it's but it's martial uh, arts. Illusion is what um, some random thing on the internet says. Yeah, I think that the guy sense. who was saying the stuff you just read was the master. Oh, hand. that is yeah, ma- the master it, hand. Yes, it is. is. It's yeah, the master yeah, yeah. hand because yeah. I was like, oh, ha ha, Super Smash Brothers. <laughs> Thank you, Michael. Uh huh. Michael's that is summoning the parts of his notes he can remember. Very strong. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the uh, uh, but the only reason I bring that up is like that's a no, that's the other side of it that's really cool to me is like we get this kind of theorization of like what's the shape of magic in the world mm-hmm. but when you go to magic school there are these nine people these nine yeah. guys very specifically and these are all the ways that the this kind of question of names and truth or whatever well how do we split it up into the world where it's these nine different ways yeah and. And that's maybe just how Roke does it. We don't know enough yet, right? Mm-hmm. But maybe that's just the way the school has thought of it, or uh, you know, maybe these are like not the nine kinds of magic or whatever. But that was interesting to me reading it. Is that you know, Ojean gives us a view of magic in the world, right? It's a, it's a, you know, it's the kind of like a, again going back to a thing we you referenced earlier, Austin. But like, a, you know, we're in the world of video games, and so we think about mm-hmm. stuff in these terms a lot, right? But magic in this. Uh, in, in Earthsea is kind of on the ludus paideia kind of thing, right? From ludus mm-hmm. meaning rules, paideia mm-hmm. meaning free play, right? Magic has this kind of un, unchained, absolute, everywhere and nowhere nature on one side. And then this kind of, I mean, there's nine types of mastery of magic here, right? <laughs> right. You know, there, there's some rules. Right. Um, and you got to like go and learn a bunch of names in order to like pass your test to be a wizard or whatever. So yeah. um, I, I like that. I like that we get both of those at one time, which is like, here are some of the ideas at the heart of this world, but also it's within a framework that's pretty rigid in a way that it seems like the world might not be. Yeah. Uh, him and Jasper, they got some issues. Mm-hmm. And Ged is killing it, by the way, during all of this. That's the He's other so thing. good at magic. He's so good at magic. Everyone is like, that's the next Archmage for sure. 
yeah, there's rumors going around. It's when he met the 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 archmage and and like the raven tapped on the staff or whatever. And right, like, oh, he's right. trying to be the archmage. Oh, I love a really uh, a small detail that I don't think is brought up as a detail. It just comes up often enough for you to pick it up. Uh, when you're a real wizard, you get a staff that has like a metal cap on the bottom, like a copper cap on the mm-hmm. bottom of it. Yeah, because you're going to be walking around a lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. You're going to need that thing to not erode when you're going. I, it, you know, it comes up every now and again because when he finds out that Vetch is like a wizard later, he's like, oh, he's got the staff with a cap on it. Damn. Yeah. He made I it. He graduated. It. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He went to the he went to the imminent grove. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Went deep into the, the cap mines and got a cap crystal. And- <laughs> that is kind of his way it's <laughs> kind of written. Yeah. What's imminence? Someone tell me what imminence is. Uh, in in this world, or like in in a general sense, in a general, I know what imminence is. I'm 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 asking to oh, for the right. reader when they read something called the imminent growth. Yeah, they got it. They're smart. Okay. They'll figure it out. <laughs> okay. No, uh, ha- being there, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, an always grove, right? Uh, uh, imminent meaning either immediately there or depending on right. This is I M M I, right? Uh, uh, I think it's I M M A. I think it's imminent. Is it imminence. imminence? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm pretty yeah. sure. Maybe I'm wrong. Imminent meaning uh, almost there or, or shortly here, and imminent mean self self same, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it is here, right? Think in terms of you know, I don't know, imminent critique or cr- a critique that is made from the conditions under which it emerges from the uh, world. Yeah, yeah, not transcendent, yeah. not beyond the yeah. world, not. Not uh, uh, which I think is interesting here in this world of of uh, of hey, there was a there's a as we're about to learn, there may be worlds beyond this world. There may be places unnamed yet. Here is the grove of mm-hmm. of, of here of this place. You know. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, do we want to talk about Ged and and Jasper getting into trouble? Is that the next big thing? Yeah, they go to, like the harvest festival or whatever. Yeah, there's a bunch of little festivals throughout yeah. this. Jasper's needling Ged. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but Ged did not stop to think why Jasper m- might hate him. He only knew why he hated Jasper. Great yeah. line. Yeah, because he's 14. <laughs> or 14, whatever. 14 year olds. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I love the way that that kind of standoff happens, though, right? Because Ged's like, or Jasper's like, you can't do shit about magic. Oh, you know what? Actually, I want to, before we get there, on 38, we get the Lord of O. And the mm-hmm. Lady of O. I was gonna say, and at some point he picks up the Otak. Yeah, oh. he also gets the Otak before that. He does get that the Otak, is. which is a little friend, a little, a little shoulder-mounted familiar. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, shoulder-mounted yeah. makes it sound like it's the plasma cannon on the, on the <laughs> mounted on the, the predator. It's not like that. Uh, yeah, Geet, uh, Geth's got heat vision, and uh, <laughs> yep, he, uh-huh. he shoots the the Hoeg, uh, yeah. the Otak, because that's its real name, right? The Hoeg. Yeah. Ged has a recording of a laugh that he plays back. Uh, it's all ah, corrupted ah, and weird. Ah, yeah. We should watch good. Predator. <laughs> ah, ha, ha, ha. You don't think that's it? That's it. No, that's, yeah, I think he, he did it. that to Arnold. Ha, yeah. ha, ha. He does. He nailed it. Yeah, why did he, why did he giggle? I've never thought about that, why the Predator had a, had a recorded giggle to do. He records it from when he's, like, um, hunting the... You know, the, the whole thing starts with him killing, like, the drug kingpins mm-hmm. or whatever, the drug traffickers yeah. in the jungle. They're yeah. just hanging out and laughing, and he's recorded one of them laughing. 
Is that real? I believe. Are you making that up or is that true? I believe this is true. Because that's the whole thing is he can like record stuff with mm-hmm. his. Yeah. Right? Because he tricks him. Uh, he tricks uh, one of the wrestlers later. Yeah. Or maybe he records that, right? one of the guys laughing and plays that huh. back, you know. Oh, oh. But isn't there like a little image of him laughing too? Maybe. Am I making that up that there's like almost a RoboCop style like pixel image of the Predator laughing? Like in your. Oh, you're right. It, there is. It, it, that's true, right? I'm not making that up. That it's like him giggling <laughs> as he's it is. as he's it is as he's blowing up his as body. he's blowing himself up. Yeah, you're right. It's the like the countdown is happening. Yeah. So he had and that it's like eighty yard in. You're right. This is just him laughing like a weirdo. Ah ah ah. No, it's it's way weirder than that actually because it it ends up becoming like a twirly mustache evil guy laugh. He's got a top hat on and a monocle and it spins like, around. Basically, he's doing Dudley like Do Right versus the Predator. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, uh, 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 it's gosh. weird. Anyway, who were those guys that met the mummy? Who uh, Abbott and Costello? Yeah, Abbott and Costello meet the Predator. <laughs> <laughs> and he's Bring got like back. a little bowler hat on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> One more movie. Mm-hmm. They do. A, they, they do a little. Uh, they like a who's on first yeah, with the predator. The predator running around 1930s New York City is such a funny image. <laughs> oh, that's that's good uh, stuff. But yeah, so he gets the OTAC and basically it's like, hey, shit, damn, not all wizards have familiars. And OTECs are like notoriously curmudgeonly little creatures, little rat ferrets, whatever. Mm-hmm. But Ged tames one. And I like the thing that happens uh, later where Jasper is being cool. And Jasper says, they say gauntish wizards often keep familiar, said Jasper, who sat on the other side of Vetch. Our Lord Nemerle has his raven. And songs say the red mage of Ark led a wild boar on a gold chain. But I never heard of any sorcerer keeping a rat in his hood. So he's like being a little bit of a dick about it, right? Yeah, you know, he's giving, yeah. him a, you know, zapping him on the rat comment. But in general, he's like, oh, yeah, I know about wizards from where you're from. And like, yeah, it's cool. Also, I love the idea of the boar on a gold thread. That's cool. That's great. It's mm-hmm. a good image. That's a tattoo. Yeah. <laughs> you know if what I mean? you have the boar on the gold thread tattoo, write in. <laughs> if you do but a good image, go I might get, get it one. tattooed on me. <laughs> oh, damn. I'll get a boar with a gold thread. That's cool. <laughs> I want it like uh, like Greek urn style. You know what I mean? That like Ooh, block print yeah, looking stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, that'd that be cool. Great. Yeah, hit me with the image. Put but then, body. yeah, the Lord, the Lord of O shows up. Yeah, mm-hmm. O is a the, place. O is a place. Mm-hmm. O is a place. Yeah, it's on that map. And then, what's the little legend about the Lady of O or whatever? Or it's about? I guess it's about Elfrin. Yeah, Why it's where we learned about here? Elfarin, right? So Elfarin. it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so Vetch is like looking at the looking at Lady O, who is like much younger than than Lord of O. Mm-hmm. And Vetch says, For such a one, I could work vast enchantments. He sighed and laughed. That's a funny, funny thing. For these like teen boys or whatever. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Yeah. And get us, she's only a woman. Yeah, that's Ged. That's yeah. the that is the ultimate Ged. That right is there. the ultimate Ged. Yeah. <laughs> she's only a woman. And that's where Vetch is like, uh, yeah, man, the, the priest or the, the, the princess Elfarin was only a woman. And and for her sake, all of Enlid was laid waste and the hero mage of Havnor died and the island of Soleil sank beneath the sea. You know, some Helen of Troy shit. Sometimes it's just a woman, man. 
Oh, tails, says Ged, but then he too began to look at the Lady of O, wondering if indeed this was such mortal beauty as the old tales told of. That's so good. That's such a good little character beat for both of them. And also, what great, you know, you know, gosh, I got to say the cursed term. What great world building here, right? Mm -hmm. Of... Because it feels like the Iliad, right? You know, because that, mm-hmm. that's the, the kind of maneuver here. But, like, I think Achilles is cool. I'm the first in line. I think Achilles is a neat guy. Don't everyone, don't let anyone ever tell you that I don't think Achilles is conceptually neat. But he's not as cool as the hero mage of Havnor. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Who? Yeah, and then, like, Atlantis happens, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. Like, what, yeah. what if the, you know, the Trojan War happened and at the end it sank beneath the sea? That's cool. Yeah. They should go back and change it so it's that. Yeah. I'm just <laughs> going to do DLC. it. I'm going to do, like, one of those, like, popular rewrites of it. Yeah. And at the end of it, I'm just <laughs> the reveal is that Troy is Atlantis. <laughs> yeah. And that's how, you know, they buried Hector mm-hmm. underneath the ocean. Under the ocean. Yeah. That's cool. Uh, and Jasper that. shows off to the Lady of O. And, and, and yeah. it Jasper's like, ooh, check this out. I can do all sorts of cool illusion magic. I mean, it is a cool illusion. You're like, someone's a big white tree with like golden apples. And, <laughs> yeah, it's and great. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's cool. You, you got to like give the guy props where it's due, right? It's a cool illusion. Ged does not have to give the guy props where it's due. <laughs> Instead, he he says, I could have done better. He said to himself in bitter envy, and all the joy of the evening was darkened for him after that. Oh. The ultimate teen feeling. Yeah. <laughs> no Ged. one has ever felt teen feeling stronger than Ged of Earthsea. <laughs> Uh, and then it it you turn the page and you get chapter four, the loosing of the shadow, and you're like, uh oh, yeah, what Stuff's a good, about to pop off. What a good title. There's a bit in here where he starts to he's he's um, recognizing runes um, from from pages of the lore book that he's brought down to read that he can't quite place where he's seen them before, and that's mm, love it. It's getting bad. You're getting ready to make a mistake, man. And he does. Finally, the Jasper and Ged yeah. stuff boils over. Um, you know, they they he makes fun of uh, of Ged for not being able to fly because, of course, Ged's the kind of use name that he uses is is Sparrowhawk, and so mm-hmm. he, you can't even fly, man. Uh, and they kind of go back and forth, and uh, Ged is basically like, "I will do. I will match anything you do. In fact, I'll do better. Give me a challenge. Give me a challenge, right?" It's really, um, this whole conversation is really you ain't shit. No, you really ain't is. shit. It really mm-hmm. is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then and so Jasper's finally like, uh, fine. Uh, I want you to like summon something for me. He's like, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? And he's like, I don't know. Summon a spirit from the dead for all I care. And that is a real like you don't know how to do that. That is a in no some one ways, can do that. No one can do that. That's a disengagement maneuver inside yes. of a teen mm-hmm. argument. You know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. like saying go win the Super Bowl. You know, yeah. it's like it's not <laughs> gonna happen. You can't <laughs> go pitch do a no hitter about it. Then why don't you? Exactly. And it's like he, he can't do that. That's not a thing that anyone can do. So it's actually a way of de-escalating the situation and escaping from the fight. You know, except you fucked around and said this to Ged. Who learned some stuff he shouldn't have? Yep. And Ged is like, yeah, meet me out by the grove or whatever. <laughs> meet me outside. Meet me after, after school. school in the yeah. grove. Exactly. Oh, it's actually the knoll. So that there's a 
Right. Not I've the group. got some. I've got some thoughts about this knoll, y'all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How many people are on it? <laughs> well, I've heard it's grassy, <laughs> and I'm it's concerned about what people are doing there. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine if Stephen King like this suddenly briefly became about the JFK assassination? <laughs> yeah, I can. It's just an incredible uh, the, the, that in that moment, Ged released a darkness into our world, crossing into a knoll <laughs> of another sort. Well, no, there's there's all this like talk of like a like a world tree essentially because that's the little model that. Jasper summons the illusions right. like mm-hmm. of this wor- this legendary mythic world tree and the knoll is like this mystical place. Mm-hmm. I have no bo- reason to believe this. This is just something I came on. I think maybe the knoll is like the rotted tree stump of the world tree. That's what I think. That's what you think. Okay. Sure. It's just beer. I have no reason to believe that. I just think that would be cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. I mean, and it would it would sort of add a little bit of weight to like why what happens here happens here. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like why wizard school would be here and like all yeah. this, yeah, right? Yeah, I think I it's like neat. it. That's fun. That's my fan fiction, or maybe that's like <laughs> canonical, and or maybe, maybe it's the thing you read twenty years ago that is that, that's exactly what I was going to say. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Now that I'm thinking about it, can I, can I pitch y'all on something? Yeah. So what if the baby? <laughs> Was the baby baby? Oh my god! I've been thinking about that since like that episode. Um, mm-hmm. What do you mean the baby baby? The baby baby, like the the, the baby. Doctor Talos had the baby baby, and they had the baby pig and the baby baby. Yeah. And then in, in Bald Andrews's bedroom, there was the baby. The you know, I think kind you of pitched baby. this then. Oh, did I? I'm pretty sure. <laughs> oh yeah. If not okay. in that episode, then the episode after. All right. All right. Fine. Okay. Mm-hmm. I think I said, yeah, sure. <laughs> Could be the okay. baby baby. All right. Fine. <laughs> whatever. You're still yeah. thinking about it? I don't know. Let's talk about it's Jasper. It's been months. Whatever. Let's talk about Jasper. We don't need to talk about it anymore. Oh, no. Oh, no. I've introduced a bitterness into Cameron's heart. Cameron's <laughs> going to go to bed being mad at me. We're going to have to I duel just... over on the Roke Knoll. I just, I think all the joy of the evening's darkened out for me <laughs> after this. Oh, I see. <laughs> but no, yeah. So, so Jasper, as you said, it's like meet me at the meet me at the knoll. Yeah. And then they do it, and then wouldn't you know it that Ged summons up a dead demon or whatever it is. Well, he doesn't. He <laughs> does summon Alfarin. Yeah. Or a woman. He summons a woman. Right. Importantly, it's creepy. He's like, he says her name a few times. Then uh, the shapeless mass of darkness he had lifted split apart. It sundered and a pale spindle of light gleamed between his open arms, a faint oval reaching from the ground up to the height of his raised hands. In the oval of light, for a moment, there moved a form, a human shape, a Mm -hmm. tall woman looking back over her shoulder. Her face was beautiful and sorrowful and full of fear. Only for a moment did the spirit glimmer there. Then the sallow oval between Ged's arms grew bright. It widened and spread, a rent in the darkness of the earth and night, a ripping open of the fabric of the world, though it blazed a terrible brightness. And though that bright misshapen breach clambered something, or sorry, and through that bright misshapen breach clambered something like a clot of black shadow, quick and hideous, and it leaped straight out at Ged's face. So it's like he builds this portal 
yeah. out which mm-hmm. this woman like that's mm-hmm. her right like which that, a magical yeah. train appears it's a disaffected <laughs> millennial <laughs> and she looks over her shoulder and she's sad because you ate the other donut you ate all the donuts <laughs> mm-hmm. she says oh my god when you've had enough sports, I've got more. <laughs> I've got more. And then disappears. But oh, the portal stays open and this little yeah. shadow goblin crawls out. <laughs> it's rad. It's rad. <laughs> it's so scary. Like yeah, for no reason. The, this is the Faustus legend. Or at least like it's it's uh, I I think it's like uh mm. an, an intentional riff on that, right? This mm-hmm. is one of the things that uh uh, Johann Faustus, who was a historical figure and purported alchemist and wizard who wandered around Europe in, I think, the 1400s, the, becomes the basis for Christopher Marlowe's play, uh, Faustus, and also um, uh, uh, Goethe's uh, Faustus. One of his kind of famous feats is summoning the spirit of Helen of Troy at the court of an emperor. Oh, oh wow. I didn't so know that. It is directly this. Yeah, this yeah. is so the most famous lines from Marlowe's play are uh, when Faustus conjures her up and then he falls in love with her. Right. He is this the face mm. that launched a thousand ships. Right. Mm. Right. OK, sure. The uh, I mean, this is a cool thing that Le Guin does. You know, I said earlier that my favorite book of hers is Rokanon's World, which is her first or, or it's not actually her first novel, but kind of her, her first uh, major publication, I guess, guess I should say. And I think her certainly her first science fiction novel. And the first 50 pages of that are, are doing a similar thing to this uh, in, in what you just described, Michael, which is like taking kind of cultural myth or legend and then folding that into another genre form. So what happens is like um, aliens come to a planet of sort of like humans. You know what I mean? They're close enough to humans. Uh, and the story is told from the perspective of like a princess and she gets on the spaceship and she goes and hangs out with what she believes are like dwarves and gnomes, right? Mm-hmm. And she hangs out with them for a night mm. and then she and they give her a necklace of these jewels and all kinds of things and she returns to her people and like 70 years have passed. Um, and so it's playing in the form of the fairy tale, right? You know, you sleep for a night and it's been a year, that kind of mm-hmm. thing. But it's folded into a science fiction story. And then there's a big time jump and uh, the Rokanon shows up, our kind of main character. And then he runs into these mythological stories of like this this woman who like went into the fairy world and returned. And he's like, wait a minute, that was a spaceship and all kinds of stuff. So um, so it's cool to see that, that. I like that you're identifying her doing a similar maneuver mm-hmm. here in Earthsea. That I, yeah, I definitely didn't pick up on that. That's great. Yeah. Another thing here that I love is that the the portal is this like bright white rip in reality, Mm -hmm. right? It is not, he did not open a dark black hole out of which the dark shadow thing came, right? Yeah. It is, it is. And again, imagine you're one of the wizards. Imagine you're master hand or whatever, looking out, you're sipping your tea, you're doing some illusion reading for the night, Mm -hmm. and you look out your window and this. Wait, who made the tea? Who made the tea? Master hand. No, Master Herbal. Come on. I'm, oh, late. I'm giving it to you. Damn. Master Sleepy Time. <laughs> that's right. That's, we never he, saw he's an anthropomorphic Herbal. bear with a big hat on. That's his, <laughs> the Sleepy Time Tea Bear is here. <laughs> but sorry, sorry, but you look out the window and, and it's this a, huge white rip in reality. <laughs> oh, what are the kids up to? Yeah. <laughs>
I, I do like that because they, when it happens, they all come running and, you know, it says something to the effect of like, well, when you start working magic like this, of course it's going to draw all the powerful wizards. I do like the scenario that you're painting where it's just, they just looked out the window and saw a huge <laughs> portal yeah. and they're like, oh no, yeah. what could that be? What are they doing out there? You got to get over there. Um, you know, they didn't get there quick enough to stop it from happening. So they got there quick enough to close the door, you know? And I, so I love when this thing attacks Ged, not just because it's like, you know, good drama, but it, it uh, Le Guin like, you know, hits some different buttons here, right? So, um, uh, ending or starting right where you stopped, right? Through it, talking about the portal, through it blazed a terrible brightness and through the bright misshapen breach clambered something like a clot of black shadow, quick and hideous, and it leaped straight out at Ged's face. Staggering under the weight of the thing, Ged gave a short, hoarse scream. The little Otak watched from Vetch's shoulder. The animal that had no voice screamed aloud also and leapt as if to attack. Ged fell, struggling and writhing, while the bright rip in the world's darkness above him widened and stretched. The boys that watched fled, and Jasper bent down to the ground, hiding his eyes from the terrible light. Vetch alone ran forward to his friend. So only he saw the lump of shadow that clung to Ged, tearing at his flesh. It was like a black beast the size of a young child, though it seemed to swell and shrink, and it had no head or face, only the four-taloned paws with which it ripped, gripped, and tore. Vetch sobbed with horror, yet he put out his hands to try to pull the thing away from Ged. Before he touched it, he was bound still, unable to move. And then Nemerle shows up to like help everybody out. Yeah. But that that is so you know it's like ripping it it get and it it hurts him it like rips big chunks of flesh out of his mm-hmm. face yeah, he's scarred from this point forward. yeah and, and yeah. he gets a sick scar proving that even uh, Le Guin wanted people to cosplay characters <laughs> <laughs> I don't believe that that's an actual intention but I do think what if my cool wizard had a sick shadow demon scar on his cheek yeah is, it's cool is up there yeah yeah it's red. Uh, but yeah, so, so that all happens and Nemerle comes and So Ged is messed up and Ged's messed up in two ways. One, because he's been like attacked by this creature and it scurries away. They kind of drive it off. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, it is, um, shunted outside of the protective orb of the Isle of Roke. Notably, it did not go back through the portal, right? Like it's mm-hmm. out in the world. It, the shadow there. has been loosed. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's like out in the world. But but so what's cool is that Ged is hurt physically, but also is like energy drained from having done this, right? You know, much like um, the fog stuff mm-hmm. back in his home island, right? Like took a lot out of him, and he and he's dead essentially. Like like Ged is mostly dying, and Namoral takes his staff and gives him a little plonk on the on the old noodle, and like uh, on the heart, I think, and brings him back to life. And essentially trades his life for Ged's, right? That's mm-hmm. the way we're supposed to read that. Yeah, yeah. Like, what if in the first Harry Potter book, Harry got Dumbledore killed halfway through? Yeah, and felt bad about it. Mm-hmm. Right, because that's the third wound, right? You, you Those first two wounds are real. But there's also the third wound, which is that, like, after he gets, after he finally wakes up from what seems to be a, a magical coma, um, he struggles to learn the way he used to learn. He stops picking things up as quickly as he could. He, in fact, doesn't want to use magic at all. This is the, like, give himself over to the archive stuff you were talking about before, Mm -hmm. where it's like, couldn't I just be the sort of wizard who doesn't do magic, but who, like, 
does research instead. Like, I don't want to do field work anymore. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, too I'm a dangerous. research wizard. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I use, I use a telescope. <laughs> exactly. I mean, that he's, is cool because he's like, that's one of the things that research wizards do, apparently, is they look at the stars to try to find ancient names that people have forgotten. That yeah. is cool. It is cool. That seemed like an all right place to way to live. But, you know, this is the guy who the Raven said was going to be the next Archmage or be an Archmage, right? Mm-hmm. Um, this is the guy who who everyone talked about being so sick at magic that, like, he was you know, he's not, not quite chosen one narratives, right? But, like, oh, you have a way with this stuff. Right. Um, well, everyone knew that he was getting special lessons from, like, right, every right, teacher. Right, right. Which, by the way, is part of how this went wrong, which we kind of glossed over, is that he learned some stuff he shouldn't have learned. Besides the stuff with the the Ogion book, he also, um, some of the the masters would teach him stuff that he probably shouldn't have known yet, right? Um, Master Hand drew that line. I think it was Master, you know, Master Hand was like, listen, a rock is a rock. Changing a rock is a big deal. Um, But there was another master who kind of like, gave into his proddings, right? And was like, oh, yeah, I'll let you know about that stuff. I forget which one, because it's like, and he'd come to regret that. (laughs) Not sure which one. Damn. Didn't write it down. Didn't write it down either. Yeah. It's one of them. Uh, Nemoral dies. They get a new archmage. Uh, What what is his name? Gensher. Gensher, Which Mm -hmm. is a cool name. But uh, Ged's not around for any of that. He's catatonic. Yeah, he's like in a coma for a while. And as you said, when he when he wakes up, and it's a long time, it's like months and months. And when you when he wakes up, yeah, he has a really hard time speaking, and he has a really hard time kind of doing the somatic components, right? Moving his fingers and and things like that. And he also, you know, one of the things that that is highlighted for us is that it's not that he's less talented with magic, it's that he is more fearful and careful about it. That, you know, it's kind of the thing of uh, like an MMA, like I, you know, who know I don't know if this is true or not, but I, but I've heard people talk about, you know, and like seeing people talk about this. Danny has explained this to me before. I'll, I'll name and shame if this is incorrect. Danny has told me before that like if uh, in a match someone kicks and like breaks their leg, for example, uh, you just won't ever kick that hard again. There's like mm-hmm. a, like a psychological bone deep thing that mm-hmm. happens where it's like you just know what your limit is and it it actively impedes you from do you know kind of hitting as hard or kicking as hard as you, as you could have before and that's kind of what happens to Ged like he understands what the limits of magic maybe should be and he's really fearful of them yeah yeah um i know that happens in other sports i've i've heard i've heard like kd say after he messed up his achilles he couldn't uh he felt like he couldn't put the same pressure he, he put on it that he used to. Mm-hmm. And then he had a game where he was forced to do it because like it was make or break game seven type stuff. And he did mm-hmm. it. And it's like, it gave him the confidence to play the way he used to again. Oh, interesting. Which is interesting. It's like you can over, it's a psychological, you know, wall, but you can break through the wall. So Ged just has to break through the wall. Ged, Ged just really needs a, a hard game seven, you know, Ged just needs to summon another uh, dead person again. Yeah. It couldn't. It can't go wrong a third time, right? Couldn't go wrong again. No, <laughs> just bring the moral back. <laughs> Even Stephen, yeah. I know the way to solve this. Is the the, <laughs> the most thirteen year old way of doing it, right? I know how to do this one. Uh huh. I'll bring him back again. Full Metal uh, Alchemist. 
<laughs> uh, sure. Full Metal Alchemist. That's what that's about. It's fine. Yeah, Don't worry it, about it's, it. It's, it's like taking him to the pet cemetery, Cameron. It's a hundred. There we go. Thanks. Thanks yeah, it's basically. Yeah. Uh-huh. Sorry, there's a generational gap here. Uh, <laughs> the kids these days just care about the Elric brothers. They don't care about any sort of pet cemetery. They don't care about little babies coming back to life. That's right. They don't get it. Mm-mm. Back in my day, we cared if a World War II veteran came back to life as a demon. <laughs> no, that's also Full Metal Alchemist. Yeah, that's oh, okay. also Full Metal Alchemist, weirdly enough. <laughs> yeah. Oh, maybe we can meet in the middle. Maybe maybe two cultures can meet in the middle. Oh. The youth and the elders. <laughs> we, oh. could, we could find a way to agree on World War II veterans. God. And that uh, Full Metal Alchemist got the big robot fellow in it. It's He's a, a suit, suit of armor. armor. Yeah, that's... Okay. You don't know the premise of Full Metal Alchemist? I know... Let's see. I know... Three words. Uh-huh. Full. Yeah. Metal. Yeah. Alchemist. Yeah. Full Metal mm-hmm. Alchemist is I know a fourth title. one. Hold on, by the way. Uh, what is it? <laughs> Brotherhood. That's, <laughs> wow. Yeah, you got me there. There, it's yeah. A, well, it's about two brothers, and uh-huh. his his title is the Full Metal Alchemist. He gets that from, like, the Alchemy Guild. Who is, who is he? Is it the robot uh, or the other one? It's the it's the other one. It's, it's, okay. his, it's Edward. Edward Elric and Alphonse Elric. Um, they lose their mother. Uh, uh-huh. And but because they are like, I know what alchemy is. We can bring our mom back to life. Yeah. Okay. Um, I played Dark Souls three. I know. I get. Yeah. This. Yeah. Yeah. That's and so he uh, Ed loses his arm in exchange for trying to bring his mother back, and his younger brother Alphonse loses his whole body. But before Damn. he can, but before he dies, his older brother Edward binds him to a suit of armor. So that's how he's. That's how he's. Living. That's pretty cool. It's is he like a little cool. kid in the armor? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, a little like, kid. it's his younger yeah, brother. Yeah. yeah, he's like this 12-year-old boy who's just like a ghost basically bound to this suit of armor. That seems depressing. It's <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I I think I I have some issues with Full Metal Alchemist, but that it mm-hmm. kind of rips. It's kind of good. Yeah. It's pretty good. Well, does he ever grow old or experience you have to read to find out what happens, you know, mm-hmm. or, or watch? Wait, is there a the... book? Is this is this a is this a manga I could read? I believe it was a manga first. Yeah, I yes, think it was a manga okay. that was adapted, right? Okay, yeah. I can do that. Yeah, easy. You have to okay. watch 70 episodes of a, of a show. Yeah, you just read just the manga. Not, I'm not going to do that. Yeah, I'll read the manga. Yeah. All right, I'll do it. Whew. All got right, him. talk to y'all later. Bye. All right, bye. <laughs> <laughs> I got something to do. I'll see you later. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, so like we have this thing happen. And uh, I mean, I like all the stuff that happens. I like when he wakes back up. And yeah. uh, he has to go because all his, the rest of his classmates, they're his like same wizard year. They all or graduated. Yeah. He like, not, yeah. He like, yeah. It's like he went into a coma in senior year. Yeah. He took a no. semester off and. No, because he has to repeat a bunch of stuff. It's like he went right. into, a coma, into a coma his senior year and had to go back to middle school. Yeah. He's like mm. in the eighth grade. I guess you're it's, right. Because he has to go back out to the tower. Yeah. Yeah. But he's hyped about that this time. He gets the thing, right? Where you're like, damn, yeah. I wish I could redo college. He gets to do it. <laughs> yeah, he does. I can't wait to not talk for a year. That's how I got through college. I just stopped talking. Mm-hmm. Really? You were like, I'm done. Yeah, that's that's me. Closed mouth Austin. Does <laughs> somebody have that? Isn't, wait, don't we learn that someone's name is, oh, it's Ogion, right? Ogion's name is like closed mouth. Yeah, because he's Ogion like, the Silent. Yeah, Ogion yeah. the Silent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And the, the word means like closed mouth. It's great. Anyway, yeah, he goes back through school. And uh, when he gets back to like to the, the after the 
being away at the tower. Vetch is back and Vetch has gone through the training and comes back with the full staff. And Vetch is like, listen, man, don't give up. You're you gotta you gotta keep keep it going. You know, if you ever want to come hang, come out east. You know, I'm gonna go be a wizard to my people. We got a spot for you. Come through, you know? Mm-hmm. Um and and in general, he kind of keeps getting these lectures. I think also from what's the new archmage's name again? Gen Gensher. Gensher, who is like, you don't get to not be a wizard. <laughs> yeah. Never died so you could keep being a wizard. You're like you said, that's the cost of this is you're going to need to be a wizard about it. You know, Um, you you killed the head wizard. So you get full tuition. Yeah. (laughs) And by God, you better appreciate it. Oh, absolutely. And that's and then and then he gets we also this uh, Ged does do some research into like his condition, like what has he done? Yes. And this is where we get that little bit of uh, like, you know, so what he discovers is that no one really talks about what has happened to him, but people like hint about it or like, you know, I have heard a story there. There's very little like firsthand uh, discussion. Yeah. And then like the closest thing that he gets is, <clears throat> uh, yeah, there were at best hints here and there in the old books of things that might be like the shadow beast. It was not a ghost of a human man, nor was it a creature of the old powers of earth. That's a thing that's come up a couple times. There's something going, there's something happening in this, world that is they're the old powers right mm-hmm. of earth not of earth yes. sea mm-hmm. right but of earth and but and not some of are, earth with a u just yeah. regular earth mm-hmm. <laughs> and some are good and some are like we don't get a sense that like there's like uh good gods bad gods there's like just old powers mm-hmm. right they're, they're like the i mean they're chthonic deities in like the greek yeah. sense right yeah, like yeah, the, yeah. The, the things that preceded the current state of events cronus uh, And yet it seemed it might have uh, some link with these. In the matter of the dragons, which Ged read very closely, there was a tale of an ancient dragon lord who had come come under the sway of one of the old powers, a speaking stone that lay in a far northern land. At the stone's command, said the book, he did speak to raise up a dead spirit out of the realm of the dead. But his wizardry being bent awry by the stone's will, there came with the dead spirit also a thing not summoned, which did devour him out from within and in his shape walked, destroying men. But the book did not say what the thing was, nor did it tell the end of the tale. Which lines up with what uh, the new Archmage says, which is that, hey, man, if you if we let you go now, you will become a puppet. You'll be mm-hmm. a Gebeth, a puppet doing the will of the evil shadow, which you raised up into sunlight. Bad. Bad, uh, bad, bad gig if you if you, they force you to take it. Mm-hmm. That uh, three sentence story about the dragon lord who was possessed by the stone thing. Yeah. That's better than the full 30% of fantasy books I've read. (laughs) That's so cool and evocative. And I wish I'd read it when I was 11. Instead of like every Drizzt Doerden novel. And (laughs) the the coolest part, of course, is we get it from our main character reading a different book. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. that's the stuff for me. I love it when a when a protagonist sits down with a book to be like, all right, now let me make sense of the situation by reading what came before. Mm-hmm. That's Big the fair. that's the unspoken uh, rule of selection for this show. It show kind of genre. has been so far. Mm-hmm. I said it didn't happen in Next Stop Christmas, did it? Did she ever stop to read a book? About, she should have. They should have. A had train more. is a kind of book, isn't it? 
A yeah. train is a kind of book. It's linear. She mm-hmm. should have like turned on a, the TV and saw a different Hallmark Christmas movie. <laughs> oh, that would be great. <laughs> there is something. Is it like, is it Miracle on 34th Street or is it? Um, uh, oh, yeah. It's, and I think it's, I think they're watching Miracle on 34th Street. I think that's what it is. There's something. And that's magic. You know, that's kind of like a book yeah. about. Oh, her dad, a movie about that's where Santa. her dad had his magazine and he was good to go. Yes. <laughs> You're right. Yeah. She should have been reading like a time travel magazine. Yeah, she should have been reading The Time Machine. Yeah, she should have been listening to, like, Art Bell Radio, you know? (laughs) (laughs) She should have been like, I've got to get into this. i got to get into the supernatural and the out there. i got to figure out what's going on with me. What if she called in to Art Bell? (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm a time traveler from the future. I came on a Christmas train. No, I thought you were going to go the other way where it's like she had to like shoot Christopher Lloyd with a silver bullet. I thought we were going to go the the opposite, which like, honestly, that would be my inclination. It would be like, he's doing it. He's a a wizard. You trapped me in your time spell. Yeah. She should go to the library and been like, what are wizards week two? This is the Stephen King novel, by the yeah. way. This would happen in any given Stephen King book. Yeah. Anyone who gets sent into the past in a Christmas train or any kind of holiday-oriented train in a Stephen King book, they're going to the library immediately. They're going to 100%. look at microfiche. And then it's like, oh, she's melting down the the like wedding rings of her of her parents or something. <laughs> you know what I mean? She has yeah. to get the silver from something. Yeah. Like that's in her Christmas box is yep. like... Some sort of old silver pendant that she can, uh-huh. you know. No, it's, it's Aunt Mert's silver pendant it's that Aunt she Mert's, gave to her yes. as a Christmas gift. Yes, right? yes. Uh, I think this is pretty close to the plot of Silver Bullet. I think we are just yeah. remaking <laughs> Silver Bullet. <laughs> Have you thought about having a child in a powered wheelchair yet? That that's the other part of Silver Bullet. Who's Gary oh. Busey going to play? We could we could also get that going on. He's on a he's on a second train. <laughs> you don't want to know what holiday that one goes yeah. to. <laughs> Counter train. Gary Busey's on the like Labor Day train. You know what I mean? It's just he was like, it's the only one I could get. Yeah. Uh, I was in the Labor Day spirit. It's just him, and he's got like a bunch of hot dogs strapped to his chest. <laughs> Looks like a dynamite vest. There's deals on cars. <laughs> I had to buy a washing machine, <laughs> but here I am. I'm ready. <sighs> hey, if you, uh, if you go to patreon.com slash range touch and you give us some amount of money, you can hear the bonus episodes for this show. Very soon. We'll have a bonus episode us uh, up of us talking about legend. But if you do that, also you get access to the full bonus episode catalog for our other show, Just King Things, where we watch adaptations and other stuff of Stephen King. And uh, Silver Bullet's one of those. So if you want to hear about Gary Busey helping his uh, wheelchair-using nephew uh, kill a werewolf, yeah, there's a whole movie about it. I With nostalgic... Go ahead, with, Michael. With nostalgic narration from a sister character that suggests that the kid dies... Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, it does imply that sometime after the film, he he uh, perished. And I believe that narration, doesn't that happen early in the film? Well, or is it, that the end? It, it, she begins the film, and then at the end, after they've killed the werewolf, and they're all like hugging each other, That's and right. then she's like, 
And that was like my like the memory of my beautiful brother. Good night, whatever his name is. Yeah. And it's like, do, wait, he died? <laughs> <laughs> I just yeah. want to be clear to the listener. I know you're yeah. thinking like, oh, I want I want to listen to Michael and Cameron talk about Stanley Kubrick's The Shining. No, you don't. That's no. not why you're signing up for this. <laughs> no. You want to hear them talk about Silver Bullet. You want to hear them talk about a return to Salem's lot. That's what you want to fucking hear. Yeah, you want to hear me talk about Graveyard Shift and give a very rational and logical and substantive argument about why it is the definitive American film about labor. Yeah. That's yep. happening over there on mm-hmm. patreon.com slash range touch. Hey, guess what happens here at the end? He solves a little puzzle with the old doorkeeper again that we talked about earlier. Let me read it. When he left it again, he's talking about the school. When he left it again, he wore a heavy dark blue cloak, the gift of the township of low Torning, whereto he was bound for they wanted a wizard there. He carried also a staff of his own height carved of yew wood, bronze shod. The doorkeeper bade him farewell opening the back door of the great house for him, the door of horn and ivory. And he went down the streets of Thwill to a ship that waited for him on the bright water of the morning. It's like here at the midpoint of the book, he is mm-hmm. a wizard. He's going he's to do wizard. his wizard appointment. The wizard of earth. Sea. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. his, his wizards first wizard. job. It's not the wizard. Yeah. Oh, but wizard. yes, you're right. He's all, he's on his way to work. <laughs> He got and the contract. We've got, got you a placement. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. My, <laughs> exactly. His, his, yeah, his... Uh, uh, he got a postdoc. Yeah, his postdoc. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to think, of what, what, is it, what is it for doctors? What's the thing that they do? Residency? Residency. Yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> residency. Um, Michael, help me out here. Dwarf, Horn, and Ivory. Oh, God, that is something. Uh-huh. Oh, what is that? I gotta look it up. Hold on. Yeah, let's let's do a search. It's that a is gate, something. right? It's gates it's, of horn and ivory. True dreams and false uh, dreams. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. There we go. It's in the Odyssey. Uh, so and, it's in, and it's in Sandman, right? It is in Sand. That's where mm-hmm. I know it from. Yeah, that's I know where I knew it from. from also, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Aren't the the gates of horn and ivory? Aren't those the gates to hell in Sandman? Uh I don't. I don't, I don't remember mm, that specifically. I don't think it's the gates of hell, time. but maybe I'm misremembering. Sandman, Horn, and Ivory. Let's, let me see. No, oh, maybe he passes out of the dreaming through that's one of those gates when he goes yeah. to mm-hmm. hell. When he goes, yeah, that yeah, yeah, that's yeah. That I, I remember they were associated with. But it's one on another, the dreaming but, side. Yeah, yeah. Now, first you're going to go through the gate of Horn, and then you're going to make a left. And then hell is right there. <laughs> it's just directions to anywhere in the dreaming. But yeah, so as we leave this reading that we did for today, he's a wizard. He's going to do his thing. Presumably, he's going the, to... Can I hit the moral? Because there's a real YA. Yeah. Here is yeah. the moral of this What's story. The moral? It's on 52. Um, this is, this is you know, he's he's learned what he can learn. He's... Mm-hmm. Uh, after the bit that you read about about him doing the research on what all is is going on with him, he's talking to the different masters. He's like, "Hey, you know, do you know what this is?" And they're like, "I don't know, man. I I'm not sure." But then the master summoner says, um, uh, "I do not know. I know of the thing only this: that only a great power could have summoned up such a thing, and perhaps only one power, only one voice, your voice." But what in turn that means, I do not know. You will find out. 
You must find out or die, and worse than die. He spoke softly, and his eyes were somber as he looked at Ged. You thought as a boy that a mage is one who can do anything. So I thought once. So did we all. And the truth is that as a man's real power grows and his knowledge widens, ever the way he can follow grows narrower until at last he chooses nothing but does only and wholly what he must do. That as your wisdom grows, the the rightful popular you know uh, possible action uh, uh, availed to you is smaller and smaller uh, is is the lesson that Ged is being given before he leaves. Mm-hmm. Uh, you got to do the thing you got to do. You 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 you're smart enough to know better. You know. Mm-hmm. We'll see if it sticks. You got to be a wizard. You got to be a wizard. Time to go to work. Time to go to work. Well, that's what he does. We're going to find out what happens, presumably. Maybe he's going to deal with the shadow later on in this book. Like, I don't, I don't know. We're going to see. But he's he's going to go do his job, probably see Vetch again. He's got his little uh, critter with him. He does. He his does. little gerbil, or whatever it is. Yeah. yeah. Patreon.com slash range touch in order to support the show. Sometimes I, I you know, I'm not going to read a review in this episode, but starting next episode i'm gonna start reading the reviews if you we got please. enough now we got enough now exactly uh so if you can do us a solid if you listen to this on apple Podcasts, give us the five stars and a review it helps us out we don't spend any money on advertising uh this show only grows by word of mouth uh if you enjoy the show if you think the show is interesting or funny or helpful this is also a really good jumping on point if you want to bring some friends in yeah. please let some people know about it send them an email Send a text message, send them a uh, Pinterest, you know, put it up on there, make a TikTok. Uh, Michael's been making TikToks over at Ranged Touch on TikTok. If you want to see, we've been making TikToks. We've been making some TikToks. I made a TikTok or two. I haven't seen the TikTok. I'm not on TikToks. This isn't a problem. I it's the uh, regular promo videos that I make that also go on Twitter. That no, no, no. Don't promoting. say that. Shoot. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's exclusive TikToks. There, I've made, I don't know. I've made exclusive TikToks. Statement. I've made exclusive TikToks, just not recently. Uh, but I have been making some. Uh, Michael and I have hilarious conversations about TikToks we want to make that we just don't. But <laughs> we could. <laughs> like, it's possible. It's possible. It's They're possible to do that. So if you're on Apple Podcasts, give us that five stars. Leave us a little review. If you write a funny review or whatever, I'll read it on the show in the future. I'll read a couple per episode, like in our other shows. If you're listening to us on wait, Spotify. Wait, wait, wait. Yes, or please. Cameron's already read your very funny review in the past. Yeah. Like Merlin. <laughs> Cameron <laughs> that's reads right. reviews that's right. backwards in time. That's right. So I, we, we have 10 million, actually, in yeah. my youth. Mm-hmm. And I'm pa- I'm paring them down to, to none. <laughs> People were really confused when you were seven years old. Yeah. And you were like, this one comes in from Super Saiyan Vegito. Uh-huh. <laughs> from in 2071. This one comes from Bob Dylan Defender 21. <laughs> we do get we do get quite a few Bob Dylan defenders that, uh, from the Bob Dylan Army, Bob Dylan yeah. Warriors. <laughs> Bob Dylan Army. Robert Robert's concerts being <laughs> Oh, the Bob Hive. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but uh, but I have learned recently 
That's right. That's exactly That's the it. one. What 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 what? Uh, Lady Gaga's were the little monsters. The little right? monsters. Yeah. They could just still be little monsters. There's the little tambourine mans. Um. But I have learned recently that you can hit the five-star button for us if you're on the Spotify app as well. That helps us over there. So if you can do those things, that really does move the needle in a pretty major way. It helps us sequence up and search and things like that. So mm-hmm. uh, we really appreciate that. Thanks for doing that. Um, I think this is the end of the episode, so I'm going to give you the credits here. Cinderwell wrote and performed the theme song for Shelved by Genre. Sam Beck made the podcast start. Jordan Mallory edited and produced the show. Does a great job. Occasionally has to put music in at the end when we assert that that needs to happen. Uh, And it's always good. Um, Michael, you want to take us out with a poem? Amid these stacks so straight and tall with tomes lined end to end, how are you to find your way? It's shelves by genre, friend. Thank you.